This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival. Also by rsn.net.au and the RSN Racing and Sport app. This podcast is also available on all your favourite podcast platforms and at WARFradio.com. Coming up on this week's episode, we've got an AFLW injury debrief with Luana Williams. We take a look at AFLW fantasy football with Jack Hooper. Coach Kiwi and Nicole Graves are back for Coach versus Coach. Plus, the WAFL women's season is about to kick off this weekend and we catch up with the reigning premiership coach, Steve Markham, and also on the way from Waratah in the NTFL women's competition, Lauren O'Shea. But first, the latest women's footy news. We begin the latest women's footy news by taking a look at the NAB AFLW Rising Star nominees for round three. They are Lions defender Nat Greider and Blues midfielder Abby McKay. To the match review officer, charges have been laid against Kiara Bowers of Fremantle for rough conduct against Anne Hatchard of the Adelaide Crows. And speaking of Anne Hatchard, she's been charged with engaging in rough conduct against Janelle Cuthbertson of Fremantle. Over to AFL New Zealand where they've got the uh, women's premiership. It's two teams taking part in the three match series, the Magpies and the Bulldogs. And in the end, it was the Bulldogs victorious 4-10-34 to the Magpies, four straight 24. For the Bulldogs, goal kickers included uh, Kristen Farrell with two, Melissa Bayer with one, and Caitlin Hanna with one. For the Magpies, Maggie Land kicked two. Not an appropriate name for playing for the Magpies. Uh, Chloe Rowe-Durkin uh, kicked one goal, as well as Lizette Herman. Best on ground for the Bulldogs was Sam Bramwell, and best on ground for the Magpies was Buell Vercade. And that's the latest women's footy news. The Lowdown with Loana Williams. Now it's time for our AFLW injury debrief. And I'm glad to say there's been less injuries this week than there have been in the previous two rounds of the AFLW competition so far. But we've still got on the line to go through it all. Physiotherapist Loana Williams. Loana, how are you? Hello, I'm well, thank you. And yes, isn't it great to see uh, much fewer injuries this week than what we have seen the first two rounds? Yeah, we don't quite have a hospital ward like we have in previous weeks, but there was a couple of injuries, not only over the weekend, but some that we're actually going to talk about as well that have happened previously, but we've started to get more information. Now, the first one I want to touch on, I doubt there's much you can do as a physiotherapist, maybe except hold a bag of ice, and that's poor Ashley Guest. I'm not sure if you've seen her eye. She has got a shiner to uh, kind of uh, resemble the shiner that Kirsty Lamb had uh, going back the other week. Yes, you're correct with that. There isn't a whole lot for physio to do when there is any eye injuries. Um, and yeah, maybe just helping out, maybe even getting the ice and holding the ice as well might be something that we can help with. <laughs> I tell you what, when we saw the vision first time around, that was a fair size egg on her head as well. I'm glad to see that the swelling has gone down. But as we said, it's all looking pretty purple around there. And let's hope that uh, it all comes back uh, good pretty quickly. Let's talk about obviously the injuries as a physiotherapist that, um, that you're looking at. And the big one, of course, when we talk about with women's football is an ACL. And we're going to talk about two of them. Um, the first one, and it's one that we talked about a few weeks ago, was Anise Bradfield. And when we first talked about it after round one, when she played for the Gold Coast Suns, we said, oh, she's had a knock on the knee, looking at probably doing a few tests to see if she's right to go for round two. She played in that round two game against uh, the Brisbane Lions, but 
it was uh, during that first quarter that she ended up doing the ACL. So let's talk about that because I've, I've heard it happen before, at least at local football level. A player that's had a knock and then all of a sudden the ACL happens a week or two later. Yeah, so I guess the ACL, I mean, first of all, this is quite a, a topical injury that's in the AFLW at the moment, isn't it? It's quite, quite a high prevalence of injuries, which I guess is causing concern for some clubs and people involved in the sport. There are really quite a number of reasons as to why you can get an ACL injury. Um, I'll start by talking about the anime at first. So ACL actually uh, stands for anterior cruciate ligament, and we actually have two cruciate ligaments. You have your anterior one and your posterior one. Both are connected from the bone at the top of your knee to the bone at the bottom of your knee. And just a, a little bit of a fun fact for anyone who's listening, they're called cruciate ligaments because if you were to actually look at the knee well, sort of without the muscle and the skin and everything around it, you would actually see that the ligaments are actually crossed. So the role of the ligament is to prevent the tibia or the, the bone that's on the bottom of the knee from actually sliding too far forward. And you'll get a tear whenever there's enough strain put on that ligament that can't maintain the load. We quite often see it in uh, pivoting and twisting injuries. So that's quite often normally the movement that happens that precedes an ACL tear. So I guess, like you mentioned before, that there was a knock to the knee. Um, potentially, it could have had something to do uh, with um, uh, having a, an ACL injury, and it, it may very well not have done it. It could very well have been just a case of landing funny in whatever the movement might have been. Um, it, it could have been sort of trying to do a sidestep, and that may, that's caused the ACL to go. So without really having an understanding of what was going on with the knee and, and how it was um, – what was going on after that knock, it's difficult to say uh, exactly what it contributed to um, the unfortunate injury over the weekend. There was another ACL injury over the weekend. It occurred on Saturday morning uh, during training uh, with Melbourne. That was for Shay Sloan. Now, this is her third ACL. She's done the ACL on the right knee twice. This is the first time that she's done it in the left knee. Now, I have an interesting question behind this because I'm thinking of players that have done the ACL on one knee then the other knee. For example, Kendra Heil was coming back from an ACL 2016-2017, uh, was on Collingwood's list, was due to play with them in the inaugural AFLW season and then did the ACL in the other knee. Is it possible that um, we can kind of put a strain on what should we say is our good leg because I guess we're too uh, subconsciously too concerned about I guess, quote-unquote, our bad leg, bad knee, that we put too much pressure or work on our other leg to compensate for that? Yeah, so first of all, I guess it's just so unfortunate that a third ACL injury, and particularly on what I think she even described herself as a good knee, so I really do feel for her with this. Yeah, I, I, again, that, that could be a possibility, Um it, that that might be happening. I think there are probably a whole number of other factors as well to probably consider when we're talking about ACL injuries, particularly in in women. So there are a number of things that can make a knee more susceptible. When we're talking about female football players, uh, theories that are, or suggestions that have been made as to why we are seeing such a high number of ACL injuries in, in AFLW players is sort of the anatomical makeup of um, particularly the, the lower the lower body. So women's hips are wider. So as a result, there's you know a different angle coming at the knee, um, sort of different anatomical structures just 
literally different anatomy of how the knee joint is set up for women. Also, um, hormone imbalances or different balances of hormones, which really mean that the ligament becomes more lax and potentially more prone to injury. There has, however, been of late a more recent discussion around the fact that maybe these injuries aren't actually occurring um, solely because of these biological anatomical reasons. So maybe rather than looking at it in the sense of we're seeing a lot, quite a lot of these injuries, these are the reasons for it, this is what it is, is perhaps actually taking a look at what could we be doing from an injury prevention method and what sort of things could we be doing to minimize the number of injuries and are there changes that could be made to training and and um, sort of pre-season that maybe could limit the amount of injuries we're seeing. So I guess we've had two of these announced this week that this is a discussion that's probably going to continue and I imagine quite a bit more research as well. Let's move on to another injury. This one occurred, uh, as we know, during the preseason. Uh, we've talked about it before, but we have an update in, I guess, the uh, recovery. And that is for Bridge Stack, that famous incident where um, uh, she clashed with uh, Ebony Marinoff. And Marinoff went to the tribunal, got three weeks originally, then got off on appeal. Uh, of course, she was put into a neck brace. Uh, there was a stable C7 fracture. Uh, this week, the or should I say last week, the, ne- the neck brace came off. And uh, she actually wrote a piece again in the Irish Examiner talking about that and Brit said how it was a relief to have the neck brace off she's met with the doctors and she's thinking great they're probably going to tell me something like maybe six weeks bit like that's the period that she had the neck brace on be another six weeks and, and, and then I can return to normal and maybe I can play this season and as she mentioned in the article she said the doctors were saying no Next season, next season, next season. At the moment, she is getting a, a, a second or third opinion on that, as she mentioned in the article. But there's an interesting point that she mentioned in there first that I want to talk about. She talked about how the doctor was pressing the arm in certain points and suching, okay, this is C2, this is C3, this is C4. Can you, can you explain what they're looking at when they're pressing this arm and how that relates to the nerve or, or the fracture in the neck? Yeah, so... What they're doing there is they're sort of assessing um, neural levels of the spine. So if we think about the the neural system, I like to use the analogy of uh, like a network of roads. So the spine I consider to be a bit of a freeway. And then at each level of the spine, you have nerves that shoot up off that, so exits off the spinal cord. And then those nerves will then branch out into become smaller nerves. Each time each bit of nerve that comes off the spinal cord at each level so that would be the c1 the c2 all the way down to um, into the lumbar spine those the nerves that come off that part are responsible for innovating or stimulating certain parts of the body so what would have been happening when they were pressing is it would have been looking at is this what i'm expecting are you trying to find out perhaps if there are any deficits along the spinal cord so that you know pressing at the point of c1 okay pressing at the point of c2 and just um, it can also be done with uh, strength tests as well. So finding out if you're seeing any weaknesses in the muscle is that you know a way of also testing to see if there might be any neural damage. Well, you talk about weakness in the muscle, and that's something that she mentioned in her article in the Irish Examiner. And when people think about weakness in the muscle, they think, well, can't you hit the gym for a few weeks, a bit of you know lifting weights, strength and conditioning, and and out you go again. Why is there such a long time frame? Uh, for a person to get back from this type of injury? I think, well, the point you make about going to the gym and just getting stronger, it is essentially the same principle. Uh, You 
it's just what after you've had an injury, you're quite often starting at a lower baseline than what you possibly what you probably were before you became injured. So if we're looking at we'll use the neck injury. If we're looking at a neck injury and you've had a brace on, that's been a period of time where your neck hasn't been allowed to move. And so it's the same as if you were to have an arm fracture or a leg fracture. If once you put your, your, a part of your body in a cast or a splint, you don't move the muscles in that area. And so you're going to get a level of deconditioning and weakness just from pure uh, lack of use. In addition to that, uh, sometimes when you have, um, sorry, in addition to that, sometimes when you have injuries, um, there are muscles that are around the, the neck and arm region, which kind of have a, a dual role. So, they would be supporting the neck, supporting a move in the neck, as well as supporting a move in the arm. So if you've got not using those muscles as much because you are have got your neck and neck brace, then it's possible that you might get some weakness. So the length of time, it could be a number of reasons. Without really knowing exactly what the rehab process is going to be, it's hard to know exactly what the physio and her medical team are looking at in terms of getting back to full play. But I think it's the same as um, the points I was making last week. When we're looking at returning to injury, it's not just about sort of fixing, I've got air quotes going, it's not just about fixing the uh, part of the body that's been damaged, but it's also about making sure that that injury is not going to happen again. And we, I think in this instance, there'd be quite a lot of the rehab, which will be about ensuring that there's enough protection around the neck for going back to play. Well, Luana, thank you once again for joining us for an AFLW injury debrief. We look forward to your company again next week, and let's keep up this downward trend of injuries as we head into round four. Yes, definitely. Thank you, Peter. And wishing anyone who was on an injury list a speedy recovery. She plays AFLW Fantasy Football Podcast. Well, if things are going to plan, we're a third of the way through the AFLW home and away season. We believe there will be nine rounds. We're already past round three. How's your fantasy team shaping up at sheplays.com.au to help us get a better team out there on the park? We have got from Supercoach Talk and sheplays.com.au, the one and only Jack Hooper. Jack, how are you? I'm very well, Peter. How are you? I'm looking not too bad. Now, with my team, we had a little bit of a hiccup behind the scene with Holden's Heroes. For some reason, it didn't appear for the first two rounds. We've got it sorted out. It's appeared in the third round, so there's been zero changes to my side over three rounds, including a couple of missing players. But I'm sitting 10th overall, so I'm pretty happy. 10th overall? 10th overall without a single change made, <laughs> including Jess Wuchner, who hasn't played for three games. So somehow, I'm only sitting 700 off the leader, so I'm not looking too bad. That's pretty good. Well, let's talk about how we can help people out who, at the moment, who might be a little bit ahead of me or might be trying to catch up to me on the sheplays.com.au leaderboard. Let's, first of all, talk about, obviously, the star of the week. And is it any surprise, someone who's scored, I think, maximum votes in the coach's um, uh, MVP award? It's, it's been Ali Blackburn. She's getting better and better when it comes to fantasy points each week. This week, 214. Yeah, look, she's been going 200-plus the whole season now. So for $55,000, that's very, very good value. So I think if she's done it three weeks in a row now, there's every chance she can keep on scoring like this for the rest of the season. I mean, some of of her points, I think, have come from hitting, hitting the scoreboard, so that might boost a kind of 
what might be a 150 type score into a 200 plus score if you go go and kick a couple of goals as well. So that's probably bumping her score up. But she's the kind of player that I think that can keep on doing that. So I wouldn't be surprised if she went like this the rest of the way through. Yes, it does make a bit of a pickle for some of those who have gone for a play in the $60,000 range. And I want to explain this. For example, you've got Jasmine Garno, who again has scored 207. She was seven points behind Ali Blackburn. She's worth $5,000 more, but on average is one point ahead, 210 to 209 points for the year. Uh, someone like myself, who has Kiara Bowers, not only on my side, but also as captain, um, she dipped a little bit from last week's high of 228. She was at 198 this week, an average of 197. But there's a little formula that you've come up called dollars per point. Can you explain what is the dollars per point philosophy? Basically, that's just looking at what their average score is and then also taking a look at what their price is and finding a ratio between the two. Um, and so you can look for, that'll spit out, spit out a little number, so that'll tell you who's performing well for their price, who's not performing so well for their price. And then if you kind of build your team around players who are overperforming for what you're paying, you're going to do pretty well. So I want to talk about a couple of these players, because the theory is the lower the dollars per point, the better value. Yeah. So let's talk about Tia Haynes for an example. Some people wonder, is she going to play in defence? Is she going to play in midfield? She's a uh, very versatile footballer. And for example, she's one of the best value when it comes to dollars per point because she she was for a criminally low $15,000 in the game listed as a defender. She's got 141 points on the weekend. She's averaging 101 points. And you might go, well, that doesn't seem like a lot, but for dollars per point, 148.51, that's extraordinary. Yeah, yeah, that's, and that's, that's why this formula exists. So you can go and, I mean, I use it for myself and I, it's something I encourage other people to look at too, is just to try and get a, try and get maximum value out of what you're spending. The, I just want to double check this with you. I think the best player when it comes to, um, uh, dollars per uh, point, I believe, is Courtney Hodder. And I think she's around 147, so just a smidge lower than Tia Haynes. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, she hasn't had quite the same height as Tia Haynes. Uh, Tia Haynes got 141 on the weekend, but Courtney Hodder's been in very sort of steady 110 ceiling down to an 89 floor kind of range. So she's been very, very stable around that sort of 102 average. So she's getting, she's only cost $147 per point uh, on an average point basis um, so far. So anyone who's got her on their side is doing very well, I think. So if people want to do the dollars per point math and do the whole calculations, I mean, I'm very fortunate. I've got your Excel sheet right here in front of me. For those that want to do it at home, how do they do it? What do they look for in the game? And if they've obviously got a calculator on their laptop or on their phone, how do they work out to make sure they're getting the best value per player? Sure. So what they do, what they would do is they would just punch in the player's price. So they, in the case of Courtney Hodder, $15,000 then divide that by her average, so in this case, 102, and that gets, gets you to around $147 per point. 
Let's have a look at the players that have been given awards and nominations so far, such as AFLW Team of the Week and the NAB Rising Star, to find out how that's translating to the sheplays.com.au AFLW Fantasy League. We've got two Rising Star nominees. I'll kick off with the first one from the Brisbane Lions. That's Nat Grider. She's been named as a Round 3 nominee for uh, the Brisbane Lions uh, win over the weekend against uh, the West Coast Eagles. How's Nat Grider looking at the moment when it comes to if people want to buy how much is it going to cost and how many points is she uh, bringing up from at least round three and on average? Well, round three, she went at 129. She's averaging 117 for the season with a season low of 91. And that's for $25,000. And she's listed as a defender. So for those that are looking to throw a player into their defence, you've got to consider Nat Grider, another player that's been around for a couple of seasons but still qualifies for the NAB AFLW Rising Star nomination is Abby McKay of Carlton. Carlton with the win against St Kilda over the weekend at uh, Moorabbin. How's Abby faring in the uh, dollars and uh, value stakes? Pretty well, pretty well. She's $20,000 available as a midfielder. She's gone 93, 82, and then another 93. So she's averaging... 89 and a very steady 89 at that. And that's the $224 uh, per point. So that's pretty good value. Let's start talking about some defenders. The AFLW Team of the Week has been announced for round three. I'll pick out a handful for you. Um, the first one that comes to mind is Lou Stevenson, who, of course, missed out on the start of the season because when the uh, Giants had to relocate to Albury and then to Adelaide and they were bouncing all around the place before they finally came back home to Sydney, uh, she was actually doing training with the New South Wales Fire and Rescue Service. So she was unavailable, couldn't leave the Sydney area. She, of course, is back in the squad, named as part of the AFLW. Team of the Week defenders. How's Lou Stevenson looking for those who've got her in their fantasy side? Uh, just, a, just the 67 points on the weekend. Um, she's got... She's done all right for ball movement and for pressure and defence, but it hasn't given her very many points for winning her own ball or for put it, uh, nothing for having uh, an impact on the scoreboard. But at least she's had looks like only the one clanger, so that's good. And so people are aware, Clangers are kind of a catch-all staff for stuffing up. So they include free kicks against uh, particularly bad turnovers. Not all turnovers, but they, when you kick it to the opposition right in front of goal. Uh, fumbling, what should be, say, an easy mark. So sort of general skill errors. So it's kind of a general catch-all statistics for stuffing up. And so that costs the player minus three points every time they stuff up somebody like... Sorry, every time they stuff up in a way that's recognised by that stat. And so that sometimes holds players' scores down. So that's often something to look for if a player's... If you've got, oh, they've got a lot of a ball, but this, their score looks quite low. That's, that can be a place to look. Okay, so that's a defensive pillar in Louise Stevenson. But what about, say, rebounding defenders? They're people I like to have in my fantasy team because I see run and carry as an opportunity. I look at Sinead Goldrick, for example, an Irish woman out of Melbourne. Uh, 14 touches, four marks on the weekend. How about her as a rebounding defender? If I put her into the fantasy team, how does that look for points? Well, in round three, she got 84 points, which was pretty solid for a $20,000 defender. Uh Round one, she went a lot lower at 33, but she lifted that in round two up to 72. So with maybe maybe that's her level around the kind of mid-70s, mid low 80s. So you could do a lot worse for that kind of money, but I think you could probably do better as well. 
but you can certainly do a lot worse. Taking a look at midfielders, I'm interesting uh, interested to see a comparison here of two rucks that went head to head. There's the big argument of who is the superior ruck at the moment in the AFLW. Is it the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos Emma King? Or is it Melbourne's Lauren Pierce? They had the opportunity to go head-to-head at Casey Fields. As we know, in the terms of premiership points, Lauren Pierce's Melbourne took the chocolates. But head-to-head with fantasy points, who came out on top, King or Pierce? Emma King came in with 107 points. And I'll give you one sec. I'll bring up Lauren Pierce. Who I should add is also in my fantasy team. So very interested to know how Lauren went. Well, only the 72 points in round three. So it looks like Emma King's come out on top there. Uh, you got to lift, Lauren. you got to lift. But it's good to see that Emma King, a former uh, All-Australian ruck, is uh, back on that type of form. Another player worth keeping an eye on as well is, um, is, is we've already talked about earlier, Kiara Bowers. Last week we talked about Elise Parker. How about Maddie Presparker? She, of course, is the reigning league best and fairest. How's Carlton's Maddie Presparker set going along at the moment? Very nicely, actually. She's gone, I think... Let me see. So she's gone 170-something in round two, then I think it was 180-something for round three. So the stats just ran away from me for a moment there. But um, the round one score, which she was, I think, the top scorer for the Blues that night, but it was a low-scoring game from a fantasy standpoint. I think it was like 2,600 points all up, which is pretty low. Um, that was back in round one. And so since then, when they've been playing in more sort of normal-scoring games, They've got. She's scored. She's been scoring that one seventy to one eighty kind of ballpark. So she's doing very, very well. Since we're talking about award winners from last year, another award winner, of course, was Izzy Huntington. She, of course, was the winner of the NAB AFLW Rising Star for the 2020 season. The big change, of course, is that she went from being at centre-half back as she was last year to now playing in the forward half of the ground for the Western Bulldogs. As a result, she's been named in the forwards for the AFLW Team of the Week for Round 3. How did Izzy Huntington fare when it came to fantasy points this week? Uh, that as well, she has been the whole season, uh, another 150, so, which is bang on around her average of 148, uh, which has been very, very good for anyone who's brought her in. If people are taking a risk, for example, the name that I'm about to bring to you is Taylor Smith out of the Brisbane Lions. She was delisted by the Gold Coast Suns, and the Lions did pick her up for the 2021 season. Some people may have just taken a gamble going, look, I need someone to fill into my forward line as they start to run out of dollars and they're looking to pinch uh, anything that they can. Uh, What was she looking at dollars-wise at the start of the season and considering she's been named in the team of the week in the forwards this week, the Lions also having another victory to keep them at the top end of the table. How did she result in fantasy points? Only the 74 points on the weekend. So down from where she'd been up up above 100 in the first two weeks, so a bit disappointing for any of her owners there. Okie dokie, as we continue our look through, how about Lauren Arnell, her teammate from the Brisbane Lions? We're starting to look at some veterans now. Um, actually, I might bring up two names. We have Lauren Arnell from the Brisbane Lions and Elise O'Day from Carlton. Both of them were teammates of the Darren Falcons for a number of years. They've seemed to be around in the footy scene forever, but they're only in their early 30s. Um, how did Lauren Arnell and Elise O'Day uh, fare on the weekend? They've both been named on the interchange in the AFLW Team of the Week. Elise O'Day got 92 points, and Lauren Arnell got, she got 115. So 
that's backing up another 121 the week before that. So she's been putting together a good season. Okay, now I want you to break to me the bad news before we go. We've talked about earlier the dollars per point and the players that uh, were worth great value. They were Courtney Hodder and, uh, of course, Tia Haynes. Break to me the most expensive player when it comes to dollar per point, someone that people may have in their team and uh, not only are they probably not bringing in many points, but they're burning a hole in their wallet when it comes to value. Right. Well, there's, a, there's one player down the bottom of the sheet uh, who's listed as infinity dollars per point. Uh, that, I think that's because that's she's only had got a negative score, an aggregate score for the whole season. So I'll leave her unnamed. <laughs> but, oh, um, no. The most expensive player in terms of dollars per point so far is Luca Lukowski Hay from Richmond, who played three points back in round one. Uh, she's a midfielder at fifteen thousand dollars, but that three points cost you five thousand dollars per point. So that's at the other end of the scale. Ouch! Ouch! That's expensive, and she's from Richmond. So um, need I say anything more? Before we let you go, um, Jack, if players are looking for a value player, midfielder, defender, forward, give me one or two names that you've kind of got an eye on for this round, where you're thinking. This player might be tempting to put on my side. I'm willing to uh, take to take a gamble, or I see some value nobody sees there. Right. Well, a couple of players I'd look at for the forward line. Um, one is Stevie Lee Thompson, uh, twenty five thousand dollars. She's gone one hundred and twelve, one hundred and twenty six, and one hundred and twenty seven. Uh, the opening three rounds, um, and that includes a loss as well. Um, so. You can do a hell of a lot worse than 122 average for 25000 at $205 per point. So I think she's the 10th best value player overall for point per, sorry, dollars per point. Um, so she's one I'd look, look at if I wanted some value. If I, wanted, if I was going to look for someone I thought could maybe put on a big score this week, I'd look at maybe Taylor Harris. I think she didn't score very much on the weekend, but... Uh, being, being a key position player, she can be a bit up and down, but on her day, she can score some, well, she can put on very, very big scores on her day, and she's coming up against Richmond this week. So that's uh, another one I'd look at. Well, Jack, thanks once again for joining us and taking a look back at another round of AFLW Fantasy Scores for the sheplays.com.au AFLW Fantasy League. Look forward to your company again next week. Thanks very much. Coming up next on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival, we catch up with Nicole Graves and Lisa, Coach Kiwi Raper, for Coach versus Coach. Looking back at round three of the AFLW, plus their tips for round four. And coming up later on in the program, we'll be catching up with WAFL Women's Reigning Premiership Coach from the Peel Thunder, Steve Markham. And also on the way, NTFL Women's Captain of Waratah, Lauren O'Shea. Been playing for a while. Sweet kicks Cause footy makes you smile Sweet kicks football If you're getting ready for the trials Gotta go the extra mile Sweet kicks football Not always hearing that sweet sound when you kick the ball? 
you to develop your footwork or explosive speed. Want to take the next step in your footy career? Then you need Sweet Kicks. More info on our Facebook page or go to our website, sweetkicksfootballacademy.com.au. Gotta go the extra mile. Sweet Kicks Football. Two women's footy legends go head-to-head in Coach vs. Coach. And it's time now for that famous segment of Coach vs. Coach. Two legends of women's football go head-to-head. We are talking about Lisa Coach, Kiwi Roper, uh, current assistant coach at Collingwood in the VFLW and the Sandringham Dragons in the NAB League, up against current Kulin Gatta, QAFLW head coach and head coach of the Australian International Rules Team in 2006, Nicole Graves. How are you both? Great, thanks, Pete. Turning back time, 2006. I, I just I want know. to mention that I tweeted <laughs> out. What is one of the greatest tour of my life, just say, but... Um, Please, we're there. I just want to mention that I've just tweeted out uh, on Wharf Radio's Twitter account, that's WARF Radio, a photo of that side from 15 years ago, a younger Nicole Graves coaching the team, mind you. Can you believe 15 years since that International Rules Series and quietly there's still some of them running around in the AFLW? Yeah, wow, I mean, uh, Daisy Pierce. Yeah, I know Daisy Pierce was 17 on that tour. Sorry, days. Um, and I think, yeah, Mo Hope was 16 on that tour. So, yeah, and I think um, Hutchie was in there. It was, there's a few AFLW girls that floated around early that have retired and a couple just holding on in their 30s. And one um, is wayward somewhere. I think she was up in Byron last week with all the other celebs. So, yeah, so it was a, an interesting tour. And as I said, we sort of got owned by the Irish um, that tour, but we had a, we had a great time, and it was a great experience to to get over there and and um, and share the game, and and obviously look at the we actually played a very young Cora Staunton who absolutely owned us uh, on the field there, so she's she certainly continues on, and she would have been a lot younger in those days too. So you imagine how much she uh, impacted that game, but yeah, it was it was fantastic opportunity and a fantastic experience. But yes, the Irish certainly showed us uh, how to play the Irish game. Maybe that's why she signed up to play AFLW with the Giants. She was thinking, God, those Aussies here, I played them more than a decade ago and I whipped them all. Yeah, exactly right, Pete. I think, as I said, she was impressive. And the, the Gaelic, I mean, the international rules for the women was very different there. We actually weren't allowed to tackle. Um, so it was really hard to stop those superstars from Ireland. So, yeah, it was a, it was a very good experience. But uh, And, yeah, thanks for making me feel even older. Now, Gravesy has the uh, mantle of top tipper for the round, winning by two this round, six out of seven to Coach Kiwi's four out of seven. That means we are dead level, 15 out of 21 for both. Coach Kiwi, explain yourself. Well, you know, a close game's a good game, just makes it a little bit more interesting. Gracie, would you like to respond? Well, I just think, you know, she was very angry. She was an angry aunt last week, and I think... You know, I think just to, you know, a feng shui, a feng shui was all around the wrong way. So, um, yeah, so that's probably why I snuck up there. But, yeah, with the way the games are going and where they're being played and the swap arounds, it's actually really hard to, to follow what's going on. So, you know, it was good to see some of those teams um, 
yeah, come back like the Blues and, and such. And, you know, there's, again, some just fantastic women's footy, which was really the most important things, I think, to both Kiwi and I when we're, when we're following the game as we do. Well, Gravesy, let's start off yes, with Friday exactly. night football because both of you tipped the Bulldogs to win. Gravesy by 20 points. Coach Kiwi by 18 points. In the end, it was a 15-point margin, 36-24 to 1-3-9. Gravesy, the Bulldogs kind of getting out of jail in that one. Uh, Geelong picking up from their match against Collingwood, but again, they're finding trouble with scoring. Yeah, it is interesting, isn't it? I was, you know... Yeah, a win's a win when you're when you're playing in that. So the dogs would have been pleased, just as you say, get out of jail uh, free. I put you know a free card, but I thought, yeah, I mean Meg Mac just keeps you know she puts such pressure up defence, and Phoebe just keeps presenting. You know Phoebe up four with eleven disposals. She probably just needs a bit of support to you know to really get those goals going. I mean a lot of the strong. Um, AFLW teams at the top of the ladder have probably got those really tall key forwards. But, you know, they also need, you know, representation on the scoreboard from their mids, some of those running mid goals. So I think that's probably where they're, where they're falling down. It's interesting, isn't it? Since Rocky just isn't quite getting into it, she's not having the impact on the game uh, at the moment that she probably did in those first few seasons. So, you know, it's interesting. I thought uh, young Amy McDonald with 23 touches, she was really good for the Cats. On the other side, I mean, let's face it, the highlight was Fitzgerald's goal. What an absolute ripper that was. Um, and, you know, and Kirsty Lamb just giving that support with 20 possessions um, with Ellie Blackburn in the mid. So they, they keep finding a way, the dogs, to, uh, to get those wins on the board. And ultimately, you know, as they're developing through the season and their young group, those wins are really, really important. Ash Guest also having a shiner to match that of uh, Kirsty Lambs from the other week. That wasn't just a shiner, mate. That was like having an extra um, person out of her eye. It was <laughs> horrific, wasn't it? <laughs> so feeling for you out there, Guesty. So, yeah, so I'm hoping she's all right because that was nasty. It was like someone stitched a cricket ball to her head at one stage. That's how mm. big the lump was. Coach Kiwi, will you celebrate that victory with a Milo, just like Jess Fitzgerald? Yeah, perhaps not. But gee, when when Guess was sitting on the ground, it started to come up like you'd actually watch it coming up. Then, and I told my friends that we we're watching the game with. I said, "Have a look at her eye. She's got this lump." By the time she stood up, it was twice as big as I had seen it. It was just you just knew it was going to get worse and worse. And then I think she had a post game photo, and it was just halfway across her forehead. The poor thing. Um, right in time before Valentine's Day. But, yeah, look, it was a ripping game. Um, and Cats, I think Cats started strong, came out of the blocks and showed that they can move the ball forward and um, and can apply a bit of scoreboard pressure. They Throughout the game, though, they had 202 possessions to 207. So, you know, in the game, just, I think, just not being efficient when they do get the ball and their movement around the field just... Um, you know, not clean enough. And as Graves, you said, um, Rocky's just not really probably showing that potential she showed the last couple of seasons. And I have noticed they're playing more on the forward line. And so maybe they need to throw her back in the midfield and um, make better use of, of her body and, and her long kicks to feed the likes of Phoebe McWilliams. But yeah, you can't go past um, that midfield with um, Ali Blackburn and Kirsten McLeod. Gee, what rip is there going? And um, and Lamb as well, boy. Um, I think Izzy Huntington had a reasonable, quiet game for how it's been so far this year. 
but still did enough damage. So um, I think that shows you how well that team's going as a whole. Let's have a look at the second game of the round, GWS Giants versus the Gold Coast Suns. Gravesy's only misstep. She went with the Gold Coast Suns by 18 points. Kiwi went with the GWS Giants by 7 points. In the end, Giants win by 10 points. Coach Kiwi will lead with you. Do we need to bring the floaties anytime we attend a GWS game? It always seems to rain at Blacktown. Well, it's not just Blacktown. I think it's Jermoyne. It's wherever they have games in Sydney. But, yeah, that's, um, that's summer in Sydney. The rains just come in the afternoon for about an hour and then it dries afterwards. Um, but, yeah, Suns just came and uh, just, I guess, they, they cop that weather, don't they? Last last year they played in pretty um, horrendous conditions. I think the score was 8-9 um, that day. But, yeah, I think... Giants probably weren't as clean as they should have been, and and that's not regarding the weather at all. I think it's just more, um, you know, they're relying on the likes of Elise Parker. Uh, Biso was pretty solid. Um, I just, yeah, they, I mean, the new girl, Georgia Garnier, I love the way that she started the game, um, but I'm just a bit worried. I'm not overly confident with how they played. I think they've got more they can bring to their game, and um, certainly this week I think will be another tester for them whether to... Um, dominate and play their style or get sucked into their opponent's style a little bit perhaps but um, yeah good to see young Gigi get out in the field and have a cracker and I love the way she just um, took it to the field just you know hard at the tackles made some good runs off the halfback line got up nice and tall because she's a tall body uh, that's what you want to see from a youngster that's been drafted out of the Sydney comp too because there's uh, not too many of them so really um, awesome to see. And Grazy, one player I definitely want to highlight for the GWS Giants, who's finally really starting to get some good recognition, uh, named in the AFLW Team of the Week for Round 3 in defence, Louise Stevenson. Yeah, it's good to see. Um, <clears throat> Lou's been around the footy for a long time, so it was really good to see her get some accolades. And again, some of these um, older players are, um, are really actually standing out in some of these teams because, you know, good leaders will do that. And, um, yeah, we certainly talk about, you know, probably some of the Brisbane Lions senior players later on. But, you know, it was a bit, it was a bit like that. So, it was, you know, Lou um, down there. But I thought, you know, uh, I thought uh, Alicia Ever and, and Jess Dalpos must have heard Kiwi spray last week because they, I think they really showed up with their skills and their leadership. And that was probably, the you know, the real difference between the two teams. Um, you know, Biso and Parker, <laughs> Biso and and, uh, and Parker, you know, 23 and 24 possessions apiece when you had, you know, uh, the highest, I think the highest stat getter was Loz uh, RNs um, for the Suns and she was obviously playing in defence, so that all makes sense, doesn't it? And I thought Britt Tully was great around the ground. She had 12 disposals. So, yeah, so I think they plugged along. Again, tough conditions and, um, you know, and as I said, I think that the, the you know, the big difference between the two teams was probably the leadership on the ground. What do you think about Perky, Perko playing in the ruck? Like, normally she goes pretty handy in the ruck and, um, you know, and she makes use of her body really well. But they kept throwing her in the ruck against the, I mean, Erin McKinnon and Jess Allen, they're hugely tall people. And any chance she could put a body on them, she still couldn't get that ball first. And at one point, um, the stats were, I think, 17 nil in hit-outs to the Giants. Uh, and before they threw the young ruck in and she was quite more competitive and evened it up a little bit. Do you agree with what he was doing? Oh, 
do you want me? Do you want me? Do you want to throw me under the bus anymore with the son's uh, coach, mate? Oh, gee whiz. Um, no, not throwing you under the bus. Would you put Poco there or you make use of their skills on the forward line more? How about that? It's a difficult thing and, you know, I press this button just by saying, um, you know, these are my opinions and my personal opinions in terms of this sort of stuff. But, you know, if you look at the, what you just said, Kiwi, you know, the Suns, you know, the I think it was um, it was I think it was plus eleven um, hitouts or so um, for the Suns. So, the, but they and they were still dominant in the clearances. So they six Suns, even though yet you, you saw the dominance perhaps in the hitouts. The Suns continue, and even in that game against Brisbane, they actually win the hitouts and they win the clearances. However, it's the next disposal that they turn over. So they get the hit out and the clearance stat, but then it's like a turnover on the next on the next disposal, which is, you know, what's the point, uh, sort of thing. And and it's nice, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I don't necessarily agree with Perko and the ruck at all. Uh, however, I think, uh, you know, the Suns probably need to find a second ruckman in their drafting. Um, and you know, who am I to be the expert? But you know, they've they've got a really dominant ruck there in. Um, uh, in Lauren Bella, but there's no extra support. So their second ruckman is a young, you know, draftee, or bringing Leah Kasler in there, where then you lose Leah down back or up forward, or then bringing Perko uh, in there, which again you lose Perko uh, up forward. So you, they're trying to sort of stop guard. So I think they really do miss a, a designated sort of second ruckman that maybe could go forward or back as a key position player. And you've got to, if, you know, the, the young girl, Maddie Levi, that they're bringing in as that young ruck, you know, she's a super fast, speedy player with all this aggression. And so you're kind of wasting her in the ruck because what happens is you lose that speed. And if you watch the last couple of games of the Suns, they have really been, you know, missing that, that real run that we saw in, in their first season in 2020. So, yeah, that's where it sort of sort of is. And, and so, you know, it was good to see Paige Parker get released there a bit. But, again, she got out on the wing and as a defensive winger was able to run that. So, you know, she was really effective. But I think Suns really need to find a way of releasing those super quick players. Two of their drafted players are Maddie Levi and um, I'm going to hurry. Oh, Siri couldn't understand me on my watch. Sorry about that. Um, and... Uh, Oh, and the young young girl from Bond, I'll, I'll remember her name, sorry, my fault. Um, you know, they they were drafted for their speed, but if you put them in a role where they can't use their speed and it's all about contested ball, you actually lose what, you know, what they're great for and what, you know, is why they were drafted. So, you know, it's probably trying to get, you know, those running players outside and into roles that allow that. And I think that'll open it up a bit. And, you know, ultimately, you know, the Suns are playing so skinny and that shows, you know, their lack of just confidence when, when the team sort of get it, get above, you know, you tend to kick it back to where it came from and you, you're too sort of scared to open up the ground and take that opportunity to, to go, to get width or to change lanes. So, yeah, so there's some, there's some things going on there, but um, yeah, I probably do agree. That was a long-winded answer, but yeah, I do agree that um, that Perko, obviously Perko would say she's not a ruckman, but yeah, that's the problem when you haven't got that backup ruck. All and right. you're using fill-ins, I guess, for the role. 
I'll raise two very quick points. A, I'm probably to blame for Perko on the ruck because I did mention it on last week's show that he did pinch hit uh, in for the Eastern Devils in the ruck at stages, and I emphasise on pinch hit. But I also pose the question of how much is it hurting them at the moment, as much as she played on the wing last year uh, for the Gold Coast Suns, but the retirement um, during the off-season of Tiana Ernst, who used to play ruck at Diamond Creek and played ruck for Melbourne in the exhibition matches, how valuable she would have been at this moment. Yeah, it's, it's true, Pat. As we spoke about, you know, just missing that that other ruck or the other one that can go into the ruck. And I think, um, you know, Dreno's sort of taken that running sort of midfield type role that, that Tiana was playing. So they've sort of got a like for like there. But as I said, I think, I think they're just short, you know, a, another designated ruckman that can actually give Lauren Bella a, a break and, and, you know, and give them that opportunity to be strong and for their midfielders to really get, you know, more and more of the footy. But, you know, it, it is what it is at the moment. So we'll see how they go on their road trip next week. Let's go across the third game of round three. Carlton, 6-4-40, defeated St Kilda, 2-4-16. Gravesy tipped Carlton to win by eight points. And the successful tip there with Gravesy. Coach Kiwi went for the Saints by three. Grace, you've had a bit of airtime. Let's go across to uh, Coach Kiwi again for that young St Kilda side. Um, they did have the lead there in the first quarter. They used the wind, and then after Carlton got the wind in the second term, uh, that was all she wrote. <laughs> yeah, look, that game just looked a little bit like uh, the week before, you know. They started strong. They had some really good passages of play, and then they just couldn't stop probably the more experienced side coming at them and I think they made some of the same mistakes they did with some of that ball use heading into their inside 50 just wasn't really efficient at all um, and they kept trying to head up um, Kate Shearlaw who I think now has the most marks for the season um, or most most contested marks for the season currently um, whereas Grise was sort of being left a little bit quiet so I think that just shows the ball's not getting deep enough and she's not getting that much use um, but yeah, it was um, good to see. I guess the you know Mua Luafi, <laughs> Mua. Sorry, Mua. It's good to see her back on the field. And I thought she was solid for Carlton. And clearly, you know, I think they they missed her last week. And um, good to see her back in there and just solid in the way that she won the ball, kept them composed, kept some structure, and um, able to you know start their transition from the back and um, and Ebony. You know, O'Day, Elise O'Day, wrong O'Day. Elise O'Day, having a shocker, not angry. This There's only an hour difference between, you know, uh, New South Wales <laughs> and Queensland, Kiwi. It's like it's 11 o'clock at night there for you. Well, both, both O'Days are, you know, not from Victoria, so <laughs> EE. Um, but yeah, Elise O'Day getting up forward and, um, you know, just seeing that smile in her face and, um, it's, just, it's just good to see, I guess, that she's seems to have found, found her love for the football back again. I think it's kind of one of the reasons she left the D. So, um, and playing so well, I think she's one of the stars of the competition that isn't talked about as much as some of the others. So, yeah, good to see. Yeah, it's interesting to see with O'Day that, um, as commented by the uh, commentators on the day on the TV coverage, was that she was playing at the end of the ground where the wind was. So in one quarter she's playing defence, the next quarter she was playing as a forward. They were purposely keeping her at that end of the ground at the uh, northern end. 
Um, and Grace, the interesting thing to see is Carlton, Carlton getting goals out of her and Alison Downey while they're having a victory, but both Darcy Vesio and Taylor Harris, their key forwards, having a very quiet day. Yeah, it's interesting, but I think that's important. You know, can you imagine when they all fire, um, how good it'll be? And listen, this game, uh, you know, Carlton had to win. You know, they, they were they were looking sort of down the barrel. They had to win this, and, and obviously they did really well. I have to agree with Kiwi, unusual I know, but I thought Sheila was, you know, he's having a brilliant season. Um, and it's funny because Saints sort of, um, she had a bit of a head knock and she went off the ground. It seems Saints actually lost momentum. She'd taken a couple of ripping contested marks in that forward 50 and then, yeah, got a head knock and went off. And it really sort of turned the momentum um uh, the Blues way, I thought. And, I mean, at the other end, you know, Nick Stevens, you know, starting to, you know, starting to find her feet forward too. So, she had, you know, she's had a couple of um, really good weeks up forward. Uh, you know, Maddie P, she just hunts the footy and she just gives herself that time and space. It's, it's a real masterclass at times. So that, you know, that was fantastic. I have to shout out to my golf mate, Jess Hosking. You know, the, the Hosking twins were known for their contested ball and just going hard, but I think she's really taken her game to the next level um, this season. She's kicked a couple of goals. You know, she's she seems to just be playing a lot smarter, making better decisions and getting herself outside and, you know, she looks fit and strong. So, so well done, um, Hosko. Excellent work. And I another little shout-out. Um, Abby McKay, you know, rising rising star nomination, a bit like Hanksy, three seasons in and gets her rising star um, nomination, and well deserved. You know, she's got her body right. She was drafted in the same year as as Maddie Press Barkett and Tyler Hanks as well. Obviously, the first ever father daughter, and um, I'll I'll take that. So you know, I got to sign the father daughter um, certificate there for the first ever time while I was at Carlton. So that was awesome. But she's always been a really elite user of the footy through traffic and now you know we knew that half and I obviously knew that when we when we drafted and worked so hard to 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 make sure that we got her um as the father daughter I think she took a pick 12 um that year so you know now everyone else is seeing it I'm it's so nice to see these kids who have had you know some injury um starts to the season like young um Tyler Hanks uh to really you know get their you know, to get these nominations and be noticed. So I think it's, you know, fantastic for the young players. But, um, yeah, I guess, you know, the Blues really showed where they probably should be. And, and you know, the Saints having those, two, you know, last two weeks having those really good, hard first halves is, you know, is just probably, you know, just showing where their development is going. And, and as we sort of said, you know, they're going to be a team that's really building for the future. So although Pete would be disappointed and the girls disappointed, you know, there's still, you know, upshots for them, you know, for the second half of the year. We move to the fourth game of the round and some were dubbing it as the best game in the AFLW to date. It was at Casey Fields where Melbourne 9-6-60 defeated the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos 8-3-51. On the tipping side of things, Coach Kiwi went for North Melbourne, Tasmania by 12 points. Gravesy got the winner. She went for Melbourne by seven points, just two points off getting the exact margin. Gravesy, I'll lead with you. Was it an outstanding win by Melbourne or did the Kangaroos choke? It, well, it's weird, isn't it? So the last, we got the last three seasons, last three times these guys have played. Melbourne's actually taken the chockies, even when they're probably a little bit underdone and always in that close close game. I think it was like, you know, two points, three points and now 
what is it, nine points. Um, so, yeah, so it's it's interesting. It's, it could be a match-up thing in terms of, you know, different teams actually match up differently and have real trouble with some teams, even though they might be lower on the ladder and, and vice versa. I mean, these teams are both, you know, elite footy teams. And I, as I said, I thought Melbourne might take a little while to, you know, to get into the thrust of, of things this season, given, you know, so many changes and stuff. But, you know, to Mick Stidia and, and their recruiting team, they knew exactly what they what they wanted and they've really got outcome from them. I thought Jackie Perry, how, you know, she was fantastic. And how important is is she to the link? She's like the linking play. You see, she sort of links out from, I see Daisy Pierce passing it out from D50 to to Perry out there and then she's also linking you know across the field into attacking 50 she gets front and centre of those big forwards and when they knock it down she's just there she had a lovely little snap off the hands of their key forwards there on the weekend so I thought she was just I just thought geez this, this kid's awesome so I was really I really enjoyed that you know Jazzy Garner continues with her skills she's just you know magical to watch you know the Carney Paxi rivalry was, you know, interesting early and there was, you know, I think there was a push in the back and a, or around the neck in, you know, Paxi's way in the first part and then a ten, five minutes later, you know, Paxi got Carney around the neck. So I thought there was, you know, some interesting tussles. In terms of North joking, I, I, no, I don't think so. I think it was, just, you know, it was a great game and it just shows how improved, you know, AFLW is and people just talking about AFLW and it's like, oh, my God, shock horror. You know, it's so much better. And I agree it's so much better. But we knew it would be when these girls had time to develop and, you know, you know get good programs and get stronger and, and, you know, these young players that have had uninterrupted pathways and they were starting to come in. So I guess as footy, female footy people we knew it was coming and what could be achieved but it's really nice to hear you know the media and and others you know you know the I guess the general people that don't necessarily believe in women playing footy or women shouldn't be playing footy or the game's crap you know really changing their tune so you know so congratulations to all the players uh, in the way that they've developed the game and we're, we're loving it so yeah nah I think it was just it was a great game, and Melbourne have just had the zone over, so I think it's a big matchup thing, really. Coach Kiwi, interesting to see Irish woman <laughs> Sinead Goldrick of Melbourne, uh, who had uh, 14 touches and four marks on the weekend, named in the AFLW Team of the Week Round 3 in the Defenders. Yeah, I, um, I'm sure all of Ireland are cheering that one on. She's, she's a little bucket of fire, isn't she? She's um, got some speed to boot and real tough as well. But... Um, I think this game was just one of your classic Darabin versus Muggers match, wasn't it? <laughs> was a bit of Twitter sphere going around on that. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the demons I think wore down North. I don't think North choked. I just think D's just um, wore them down, and they ended up with about forty more possessions, which is really going to burn you uh, if you're not getting your hand on the footy. Um, as much as your opponent. And, you know, their best ball users were, were the likes of, you know, Paxi, if you talked about, even little Lily Mithin. You know, she's, you know, three foot nothing tall and got 21 possessions in the weekend. And then Tyler Hanks, um, she had 23 disposals. So, you know, you've got a bunch there that are using the ball and getting their hands on it a lot and just getting to feed it into the likes of Tegan Cunningham. And, and yeah, I love seeing Jacqueline Parry. I think she um, had four marks in the end. Um, and a couple of goals, just 
what a what a ripping youngster and um, from a soccer background too. So I will cheer her on extra loud. And since you mentioned Darabin, everyone drink. <laughs> yeah. But I will I will raise a quick little point since you mentioned Darabin and the Muggers. This is a quick little story going back to 2014. It was the preliminary final at uh, Shepley Oval Dandenong where I think at that stage the Muggers had a lead on Diamond Creek before Diamond Creek ended up running out and winning the game. But at halftime, a couple of Darabin players were walking by and I was there with an AFL Victoria official at the same time. There was a little bit of chit-chat and the Darabin players uh, pointed out to Melbourne Uni and they go, oh, they've shown us something we've never seen before. And the question was, what was that? The Darwin players responded back, heart. Ooh. That was seven years ago. Yeah, and a fine for you, Pete. You've mentioned Darwin a few times then. Drink. Okay, let's move across to game five of round three. The Adelaide Crows and the Fremantle Dockers was played at Norwood Oval, and it was a COVID sellout, one of the few games that uh, were allowed to have a crowd due to the Victorian COVID lockdown and, of course, the COVID uh, lockdown situation for uh, for uh, Hickey Park in Brisbane. But this game between Adelaide and Fremantle, Gravesy went for Fremantle by three points and... Well, got the team, but the margin was 10 times more, that 30 points in the end. Coach Kiwi went for Adelaide by eight points. Coach Kiwi, I'll begin with you first. Are you stunned by the way that Fremantle seemed to handle Adelaide so easily, mind you, without Chelsea Randall, who was out with concussion? Yeah, look, um, I know Chelsea Randall adds a lot to the team, but they had in um, Chloe Shear, who is also very, very handy um, getting hands on the ball, um, she's probably one of the more safer markers of the game. But I don't know that it was so much Frio handling them. I think Crows probably did themselves a disservice in the way that they just can't kick the ball through the big sticks. Like we saw this in the preseason. I think they kicked something like 21 behinds in the game against the Giants. Um, they, you know, they created opportunity. They got it up there, but they just, I think, did themselves the damage. And, you know, at the other end, Frio were just exciting. As soon as they forced that tra- that turnover, boom, they're down the other end of the field and um, exploited some of the space that the Crows defenders allow and banged in the goals. And, you know, the speed of Gemma Horton and some of those girls running through it, if she's not getting it, someone to kick it over and then you've got Duffy popping up. And it's, um, it's a pretty exciting young team that Frio have got. Um, but, yeah, I just think, you know, I thought, Aaron had a bit of a quiet game for Aaron, and I thought, um, you know, perhaps um, Ebony Marinoff probably didn't get involved as much as we often see her get involved. So I think, yeah, the Crows perhaps just, um, um, you know, took it a little bit easier from how they normally play a little bit. As the Carlton Draft T-shirt says, jumping Gemma Houghton, I asked the question to you, Coach Gravesy, is Gemma Houghton the best key forward in the competition? Well, she's certainly the most unpredictable. I think we spoke about this a few weeks ago, and obviously, I know, you know, Jim quite well. And you know, it's that I, I, I still just laugh, and I'm just like, she is just so exciting to watch. And and you know, and I think it's that's really important to have players like that in our game. You know, she just pulls things from crazy places, and and when you got someone doing that up forward and getting goals, you know, and she gets. Plenty of quality supply. She's super fast, so she's getting that. Re- you know, she's getting continual supply, so she is able to just 
continually forever at that, but she's also worked really hard to, to get better, and that and that's really impressive as well. So, you know, for the Crows, you know, people sort of say, well, it was an opportunity lost, you know, one goal, seven to seven goals, one, but you're sort of underestimating the strength of the Dockers' defence. You know, they've got an elite defence. They're one of the best defences, you know, in the competition, um, and they really rebound so well out of, out of that defensive line. So, as Kiwi mentioned, you know, they really do rebound well. So, yeah, Crows didn't have a great day. But, again, this is where I actually had the plus 11 uh, hit-outs. I knew it was in one of these games. So, Crows had, you know, plus 11 hit-outs. But the mids of Frio just got it out every time. So, it didn't matter what where they were tapping it. The, the, the Dockers were just picking it up. And they're the likes of, you know, Turbo and that. They just work so hard in that middle ground. And, you know, they, they're... They don't necessarily have to be elite. They just battle to get it out. And then once they get it out, they're really good ball users, you know, use it, you know, out wide, which is great. You know, Turbo was is just scary with their tackling. Thought Steph Kane, Kane's speed, um, Kano's speed was excellent. You know, she really had a dominant, um, you know, dominant game. You know, Ashley Sharp coming back with a nifty couple of two goals. You know, we, we you know, Sharpie will, and again, Sharpie quite well. And Sharpie sort of had a bit of COVID you know, um, a bit of COVID, um, uh, what do you say, few feeds of during COVID she needed to wear off and, and she did the hard work and, and as she said herself, you know, she just ran and ran and ran and that was really important when she, you know, some of those goals were all about running, running, running. So well done to Sharpie. You know, the nice thing was to see Tia Haynes, uh, Tia Haynes out there, you know, after an ACL, two shoulders, you know, it's just wonderful to see these players, you know, be rewarded after, you know, injuries and, and everything. And my heart actually goes out to um, uh, to Shay Sloan, who obviously has just done her third ACL injury. So, you know, in talking about those sorts of injuries, but these women are brave and they keep working hard. So good on your team for out there. And I think that, you know, we talked about leaders and leadership and how important that leadership was. And I think, you know, the Dockers, we talk about this young group, but these Dockers have got wonderful young leaders as well that have been together a long time and they lead both on and off the field in the way that they prepare, in the way that they, um, you know, the way that they deliver their game in their skills in their and, and everything that they do. And so, you know, those leaders at, Do- at the Dockers, that leadership group in particular, are the reasons why you're seeing, you know, the Mim Strongs and the Webbies and the Michaela Hyde and Roxy Roos and such, you know, be able to have confidence to celebrate the things that they're great at. You know, they don't second guess because they've got people around them that really have confidence in them. So that you, you are seeing that more than, you know, in some other teams where the young talent is, you know, is probably struggling a little bit. And that's some, maybe some of the newer teams that just need to, you know, get it right there. So congrats, Dockers. And yes, I said, well, I was sort of, you know, concerned about this game, but then, and I thought it'd be close, but gee whiz, they were impressive. And as we should mention, with Chelsea Randall out, Evie Gooch was also missing for from Randall. Coach Kiwi. Yeah, I think um, if there's any young kids that want to watch a game of the weekend, go and watch Kiara Bowers. Um, she, her stats are phenomenal anyway, most weeks. But I think she proved in the weekend just the value of having a good quality two-way runner in the team. And it's, it's something we try and coach the players, you know, run both ways, you know, kind of thing. But um, she really shined in the weekend for Frio, and I think um, just if you have a player like that in your team, you lift around you anyway. So, um, young kids, go watch her. 
If you listened to last week's show, originally there were tips for Brisbane versus Collingwood and Richmond versus the West Coast Eagles. Of course, that all got thrown around by the Victorian five-day COVID lockdown. So instead, we had on Sunday afternoon, Richmond versus Collingwood at Punt Road Oval. Uh, Both Gravesy and Kiwi uh, sent through their tips to me. Gravesy went with the Pies by 21 points. Kiwi went with the Pies by 14 points. In the end, Collingwood won by 17 points. Richmond, at least they managed to get an okay score on the board, 4 7 31. The end result shows 17 points, the difference. But, Coach Kiwi, was it a case of Collingwood? Yep, tick the boxes. We got a win here. Mind you, the first time they've started a season with a three and zip record. Yeah, yeah, I think the, um, they're going pretty well. I think um, Richmond really took it to them. Um, Collingwood have got some good players all around. And I think, um, you know, Britt Benici had a ripping game through the midfield. She's just one of those little players that just a lot of hard ball gets. And I think 31 possessions in the end um, to support the likes of Bree Davies. And, um, you know, good to see Ashling Sheridan kick a couple of goals and Joanna Lim get on the scoreboard. It's, um, it is pretty exciting. Um, the flip side for Richmond, I think, was really good that we got to see probably Katie Brennan getting her hands on the ball a lot more. I don't think she's had so much um, influence throughout the other matches, but I thought she gave a bit more drive for the team. Um, and Mon Conti, you know, again, her speed and um, her dynamic style of running is just incredible to watch. Uh, Sarah Hoskins was really strong. She got 15 possessions as well. Um, I think there was a little bit of a battle between the, the ex-Pie Sarahs. <laughs> there was a couple of them over. Um, <laughs> there was I think a bit one of them got in a bit of a tussle at one point. Um, but you know, the girls are just playing with a bit of passion, and um, and I'm sure they'll give each other a hug after the game, and they're still friends and have a coffee. Um, but yeah, I think what we saw from Richmond was probably what. It doesn't really hurt me to say this, but I'm okay to say it. Is what Gravesy said at the beginning of the year. She said, you know, they're building this team. They've got potential. And um, credit to them in the weekend. I think they really showed some of that potential, and they they took it to. And when you look at the Collingwood defence, there's you know some really handy players in that back line with Alana Porter and Stacey Livingston and um, Jordan Allen. And so for Richmond to score a few goals against that, that's um, got to build their confidence up hugely. And possibly for a Collingwood-Richmond rivalry in the future. They didn't just start a fire. Former Collingwood AFLW coach Wayne Seekman said, let me throw a can of gasoline on that. Um, To quote him on Twitter on February 14th, Valentine's Day of all days, interesting to note, Richmond AFLW side is zipping nine. I remember a certain person wanting to cut the head coach after being zipping three in season two as they need to be as a big club, meaning uh, Collingwood. Uh, Tiger's the biggest club currently and can't get close to a win. Who is responsible? Ouch. Oh, yeah. Wayne I was having a field day. Uh, well, ironically, Richmond actually got rid of their coach too, so... Um, yeah, Ed knows he's a great coach. It was it was just one of those things. But um, I did have a bit of a giggle. Didn't uh, you go and see um, Giants when they were in Adelaide too, while they were down there? So there is, you know, he's still getting around, still helping. Oh, he's a great develop. Yeah, he's a great development coach. And, you know, came highly through the, the you know, women's, or the girls, youth, what do you call it? Youth state 18s. Women, so he's got plenty of experience. Great development coaching, yeah, really no, knowledgeable fella around women's footy. So, Gravesy, going to Wayne, may as well create a bit of controversy. 
Gracie, can I ask the question with the Tigers? Now, prior to the COVID lockdown happening, uh, which occurred around Thursday, Friday in uh, Victoria, um, Richmond was scheduled to play the West Coast Eagles. I can imagine probably in the Richmond camp, they were all up and about because the Eagles only had one win so far in the AFLW career, and even that was just uh, by the skin of their teeth against the Western Bulldogs. Richmond were probably fancying their chances having the Eagles on their home deck at Punt Road Oval, and then click the fingers, it changes. They're playing a very good Collingwood side. How much can that almost be deflating, going, oh, against a game where we look like we're going to win to, oh, no, we've got a much tougher task now. Oh, listen, I saw the Tigers showed a little bit, you know, last week, the week before, obviously the rounds that it's just gone. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, it's funny. I just, it you know, might be a massive concern to Collingwood, but certainly the last two games when they, in theory, have played lesser opponents, they haven't actually started very well. And I don't know whether that, a psychological thing where it might, they think it might be a bit of an easier start, and all of a sudden these teams actually get a bit of a bit of a run on early on them. Um, you know, this, yeah. So I think yeah, the Pies just need to be a little bit careful there. Every team uh, in the AFLW has has something to offer and, and something to give, and and you know sometimes those inf- enthusiastic young footy teams, you know, you know the Crows won it in year one by just basically kicking runs. So, you know, it, it is possible still to, to get that, particularly if you've got some enthusiasm. So, you know, it's something, um, you know, sort of to watch that never underestimate, you know, a team that has a little bit of belief. And we spoke last week about the Tigers, you know, young guns really stepping up and they just needed their senior players to maybe get more of the footy. And I think this week you saw more of their senior players. get Fabs was a bit more up and about. Katie Brennan was getting the footy. Yeah, went to Katie Brennan actually. I think she's what is one goal eleven in her time at, at Richmond. And, you know, she had to turn that to eleven one. There would have been a much different outcome for the tie. So she's, you know, she's getting more of the footy as as Kiwi pointed out. I cannot go past this game without mentioning Gabby Seymour and that and that mark. Like that is just that moment. <laughs> they are just what makes AFLW just classically special and amazing and wonderful and why we love it. You know, not only did she take the mark and pivot like she was a netballer and she couldn't, you know, and she couldn't, you know, take another step. So she sort of stopped with that leg and then pivoted around and then the grin on her face was just magical. I was, you know, watching it with a, with a, with a bunch of the AFLW girls and we were just absolutely in hysterics. And, but not taking, you know, it's not taking the piss out of it, but we're just, it was such a delightful moment uh, in the game. So I just, I love that. So, you know, that's exactly what it's all about. Um, you know, it, it's, yeah, again, just moments in the game that just, you know, make me smile and make me happy. So that was awesome. Ali McKenzie, another, you know, another wonderful prodigy out of the Northern Knights, you know, little superstar factory there. She had another ripping game and it just shows how good these kids are coming through. Yeah, and the Collingwood, I don't want to, you know, underplay Collingwood because, you know, they still played, you know, some really good footy. And Britt Benici, I mean, how important is she becoming to this team? She's probably one of the most important players that they have out there, um, you know, along with obviously Bree Davey and, and Lambert and a few of the others. But, um, you know, I, Britt is just taking a game, you know, they've released her from that sort of, those first couple of seasons of that lockdown sort of tagger role and, and she's just having a field day. I'm loving watching Brit. 
play. And she again, she's one of those, you know, young players that just celebrates everything and just loves being out there. So, you know, this game's had some really, really good highlights for me, um, you know, in the purest sense of, I guess, of female footy and, and where it's taking it. So kudos to the girls. I enjoyed that one very much so. For the last game of round three, we had our first ever AFLW Monday game where the Brisbane Lions 10-5-65 defeated the West Coast Eagles uh, 2-8-20. Gravesy went for the Lions by 42 points and Kiwi went for the Lions by 38 points. Gravesy, though, it did feel, at least for the first quarter and perhaps the first half, we were going to be singing that song, Wim Away, Wim Away, The Lion Sleeps Tonight. Then they woke up in the second half. Yeah, boom, wasn't it? We sort of spoke about the Pies sort of, you know, underestimating some of these young teams and, and maybe the Lions did. I mean, you know, they've had a couple of ripping games, haven't they? So they're flying. I think, what's that, 65 points two weeks in a row? Living the dream at the Lions as starts as little fellas. And, uh, you know, again, a couple of highlights. Dakota Davison, who just loves the celebration. Uh, and trust me, she loves the celebration at QAFLW level too, I've, I've found out, unfortunately. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that drop punt. The, the commentators said, you know, he's like, oh, we, do, we should do the check side. We should do the banana. We should do this. And she just lines up and just rips. You know, you couldn't even see daylight between the posts. And she just rips it from the boundary. Beautiful drop punt. And he was just like, oh, oh, wow. And he just started giggling like in this amazement. So, you know, well done for that. It was a ripper. And, you know, so that was awesome. Loved that. You know, Lauren now, well, she's like fine wine, isn't she? She's just getting better with age. You know, career best. At 18 touches when, you know, many rode her off and I probably could have been in that boat, um, you know, a few years ago. I, it was fantastic to see Loz do that. And, you know, Queensland footy, she's, you know, Queensland footy being obviously great for her, but she's been great for Queensland footy. So, yeah, well done, Loz, on that. You know, the Eagles were gallant in that first half and, and um, you know, you really want them to, to have an absolute, you know, you just, you, some of these teams you just, urge them on to have a win. You just want them to have a win. And, and again, they'll learn from that. You know, their stars were still coming up. They, you know, they've got some injury woes. It's been, it's a tough, tough kick out there for the Eagles. And, you know, these teams are still, you know, still developing considerably. And, you know, I guess the Eagles and probably the Suns, you know, those, those smaller states versus population with two teams, it is harder for those second teams to, um, you know, to get up and, and get the cream of the crop and, and, you know, get the drafting and, and you know, learn their trade. So, you know, they're doing well. It was nice to see um, the Lions, young Taylor Smith, who was obviously delisted or traded. Sorry, I don't know which one that was. Delisted. Um, from the Suns last year. Um, it was great to see. And she had a great QFLW season. Um, unfortunately, obviously, mostly against my side, um, you know, you know, up forward and she's taken, and I guess that's the bonus of some of these young players being able to play a fair bit of footy, um, you know, in the non-state, you know, in, you're not in Victoria where they were locked down so much. And she's continued that, um, that form at a new, at a new AFLW club. So well done to young Taylor. And so, yeah, so. You know, it was. It didn't seem so evil, but it was lovely to, you know, the Twin Towers, how how important are they becoming? You know, you know with, um, you know, 2K Wardlaw and, and Dakota Davison, they're, they're pretty hard to stop. So, you know, in the coming weeks, when they're going to play some of these some of these other sides, well, hopefully, if we can get them out of the States, it'll be interesting to see how they go. So, 
yeah, well done, Lions. And, um, yeah, but it was also a little bit well done, Eagles, I felt, in that game. So, yeah, they continue to go. Monday night footy, flying all the way over the other side of the country. So, you know, the Eagles will learn lots out of that. And a, a good road trip um, is always good for some of these young clubs to get together. And Coach Kiwi, as Graves, you mentioned about the Twin Towers, what should frighten other AFLW teams is the line still have to come back. Jess Wuchner, who on the weekend played in a practice match for a QAFLW team in Cooperoo and reports are she kicked a bag on the weekend against Maruchidor, so she could be back and in form very soon. Yeah, well, I think I think the bigger challenge for um, Jess is who's she going to force out in this Lions team? They're um, all going really, really well. And, and you've got, if you call them the Twin Towers, you know, Wardle probably, I think, the, ta- the taller of the two will take the key defender. And I think that just frees up Dakota to go about her merry way. And this is probably the reason why you can't say Gemma Horton's the best forward because I think we've just got too many exciting forwards. And um, and definitely Dakota Davidson is, is one up there. Um, look, you know, I even though I tip lines, I was absolutely cheering West Coast and the way they started that game. They really took it to them. Um, they they had the ball in their forward 50 for probably just about most of the game barring that third quarter, but they had the ball up there. They just take a long time to convert the major score. And all Brisbane did was um, get runaway goals for the first couple and um, really – it was it was the Eagles in control of the game, I felt. Um, but until you got to that third quarter and then, bang, Brisbane came with five um, goals and a flurry, really. And I think they only got another two in the fourth quarter. So that third quarter is what everyone calls the premiership quarter. And could this be the year? Who knows? Could we see um, Crows versus Brisbane grand final again? Because um, was it 2017 that Crows had lost and... Um, made it back into the grand final, and that was against Brisbane. But um, disposal-wise, uh, Lions only had 45 more disposals than Eagles. So that just showed, you know, how even it was in that regard, really. Uh, Eagles are just not, not converting. So just another one of these teams that get in the ball, just not take it up the other end. Um, so apparently they did a bit of um, meditation before the game. There's some footage of them. Lying on the hill, I thought they're having a nap, but maybe that's just how I would have done it. But um, if that's what they need and they come out and do that in the first quarter, maybe half time they need to go and let them have some meditation time as well. (laughs) Whatever it takes to come out and fire, um, they've got to look at it. Visualize. Yeah, well, because they fly home across the island, then they're back in Sydney. So they've got a tough couple of weeks. Um, with many hours in the air. So, you know, I, I don't expect them to have an easy game this weekend. Yeah, I'm sure you might see some fixture changes. No doubt about that. <laughs> Let's see what happens. Let's have a look at round four with the tips all squared at the moment. Both Gravesy and Coach Kiwi are on oh, yeah. 15 out of 21 each Yee. after that two-tip victory to Gravesy over the weekend. Let's begin Friday night football at Moorabbin. This is the first time in AFLW history that these two teams will play. St Kilda versus Geelong. I'll go with the previous round's winner, Gravesy. Who wins and by how much? La, 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 la. That was my winning song. I was the baggers last week. But um, uh, listen, I'll make it short and sweet. I go, I'm going St 
are going to get get back to their winning uh, to, back to the winning list, and just to, and ensure that they just stay in touch with those top teams. I'm going Saints by eighteen. Coach Kiwi. Gosh, was that her short one? Um, yeah, I reckon Saints are going to dominate this one, and I'm going to say Saints by fourteen. Let's go across. Dominate and then you go 14. What sort of, what, a couple of goals <laughs> and a couple of misses. Have you seen them lately? A couple of you goals are a couple of misses. You GWS Giants and then you just go, oh, they're going to dominate what, by 14. That's not dominate. Two goals, two misses. <laughs> just four more shots. <laughs> go on. So we knew we'd wind it out a bit longer, Pete. And let's go to Saturday football at Icon Park, 3.10 in the afternoon. It's Carlton versus Richmond. Gravesy. Jay Hosking versus S. Hosking. Been waiting for that one all day. So the Blues versus the Tigers. Uh, the Tigers are going to keep improving, but unfortunately, that's da, that's da, da, the Baggers are going to get up by 28 points. Coach Kiwi, who wins in this battle of Good Twin versus Evil Twin? The Hosking sisters with Carlton and Richmond. Oh, look, I'd probably put my money on Sarah Hosking to win the battle of the Twins. But definitely my money will be on the baggers, and um, I reckon they're going to win by 23. Let's go to Fremantle Oval. Ouch, you got to feel for the Gold Coast Suns. They're up against the Dockers, who have currently been included last season, won 10 matches in a row. Coach Kiwi, I'll start with you. Who wins and by how much? Yeah, sorry, Suns, but I think it's going to be a tough go on the road. And Freo back home, I reckon they're going to, they're going to win this by 36. And, uh, Grazy, we remind everyone that when they met in that uh, final last year that uh, Frio beat the Suns by 70 points, mind you, with only like a couple of days' notice that the Suns had to get across the other side of the country. Uh, Grazy, who wins and by how much for the Dockers and the Suns? Oh, listen, just quickly, anyone that thinks that there's a conspiracy theory in ensuring that the fixture looks lovely and all the games look lovely, I don't think so. Uh, You know, Tough that was last week. That's so last uh, week. So last week. <laughs> Suns have gone. Hit. They have played in their last six games. They have flown to Western Australia three times in their last six games. Poor buggers. But I reckon the road trip's going to do the Suns good. I think it'll. Um, we'll see some considerable improvement. Um, add prayer emoji. And the Doc, unfortunately, the Dockers continue. will continue their winning streak. The Dockers, well, I want to just say just 24 points, please. Going going right there. (laughs) Saturday night football. This game is being played at Marvel Stadium. As of recording, we're still waiting to know what the Victorian lockdown situation is going to be and if a crowd will be allowed into Marvel Stadium for the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos versus Collingwood. Collingwood have never won four in a row. The Kangaroos have never lost two in a row. Gravesy, I start with you. Who wins and by how much? Ah, oh, should be a ripper. Great challenge for the Pies at the halfway mark of the season. I'm going the Pies by four points. Whoa. Every day we gotcha. Coach Kiwi, who wins and by how much? Oh, this is a tough one. I reckon this is absolutely going to be a ripping match, and I really hope the crowd's going to be there because it's going to be pretty um, hollow feeling um, having a ripping stadium with nobody cheering them on. Um, I expect North to come back a whole lot stronger, but... Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go the pies this week. It's gonna be um, a real battle, but I think each week they're getting a little bit better and a little bit better, and I think they're getting up to um, probably top four contender spot is sort of how they're starting to play, regardless of how their results have been. But um, 
you know, people said they hadn't done three in a row. Now's their chance to do four. Go to pies there's by a, there's a kiss seven. Of death. Pies by <laughs> seven oh, for Coach Sorry, Kiwi. pies. Kiss of death right there. And, and controversial. I'll get you on that one. And controversial <laughs> statement from me, Marvel Stadium, the most boring place in the world to watch football. Let's go across to Sunday. Could be the draw. That could be the draw of the round. At Hickey Park. <laughs> we are talking about the Brisbane Lions and Adelaide Crows. People online have been talking about rivalries in the game after we'll talk about it as a rivalry. But I think this is a beautiful rivalry that's been bubbling along since the first season when they had a close one at Norwood. And then, of course, they had that grand final. 1.10 p.m. Uh, Eastern time, uh, Queensland time at 12.10pm. Gracie, who wins, the Lions and the Crows, and by how much? Um, I'm sticking in my Gold Coast bubble, mate. Like the previous game that I just chatted about, I think this is a real opportunity for the Lions to show, you know, why they're sitting right up the, you know, the top end of the ladder. But the Crows, they'll be really disappointed for about last week and what happened. I'm going... I'm going the Crows by seven points. Whoa. Oh, I, don't, I know. I know. I'm just, don't get deported. Ah. I'm feeling I'm feeling the pressure already. Crows by seven. I'm loving what they're doing, but yeah. That's, Coach Kiwi. That's what I had. Oh, well, Kiwi, get I was it. sure you were going the Lions. And I, had to I sure you were going to not go seven. the Pies. So, yeah, buggy. Uh, yeah, I know. I, I tossed around the North Pies one. That was That was hard. But um, I just I'm worried that I might not have a job if I don't tip them at least once. Um, mm. but, but Lions, yeah, I think they're going great. But I think Crows last week, Chelsea's back in. Um, Shears better with another game under you know in a league. Or is she on I a great think, race? You never I know. Think, <laughs> yeah, it was a late <laughs> withdrawal, wasn't it? Gosh. Um, I just yeah, I think Crows won't like. To win, to lose two in a row, and I think they're going to come with a vengeance. And I think they've got the experience around the ground if they can fire, which I don't think. I think they were just um, a few sparks, but not an actual fire last week. I reckon they'll bring it to um, Brisbane. So I said Crows by seven. Oh, I'll go Crows by ten then. Okay, you want to you want to change it to ten? Fair enough. Let's you go across. Get, you don't get bonus points for the margin, mate. Yeah, you do. No, you don't. Uh, VU Witten Oval. You get bragging rights, maybe. <laughs> Sunday afternoon, the longest rivalry in AFLW history. It's the Western Bulldogs versus Melbourne. Coach Kiwi, to you first. Who wins between the Doggies and the Ds? Oh, I think um, I know it's at Witten. I know sometimes, sometimes the Bulldogs go really, really well there, um, especially uh, this season. But the Ds have got something. They're they're there's something. Their games aren't the prettiest, but they get stuck into it and they grind out their teams. And um, I reckon they're going to do the same this week. And I expect all those um, small players like Goldrick and that to step up. And um, I'm going to go to D's by 12. Crazy. Well, I have to disagree with you. I think that I think the D's are the prettiest. They play mm-hmm. most beautiful football. I'm not, I'm not talking about the other thing. I think they play stunning football. I'm really looking forward to the Carney v Blackburn little bit of rivalry there, although I'm not really <laughs> sure who, who goes on Paxi. Feeling, I'm feeling pretty sorry for Lamb if she cops Paxi. But, um, you know, it's going to be interesting, the two big forwards, Huntington and Cunningham, you know, the bookends at each end. 
Um, and yeah, obviously, as Pete said, the originals, the exhibition games, and unfortunately, I've been on the, I was on the dog side right through those exhibition games, so I know what it's like. And unfortunately, I think this one will go a bit the same way as the exhibition games. I'm going Melbourne by 21 points. And uh, another controversial statement from me, I think Nat Exxon's mullet in 2018 was far superior than to Karen Paxman's. <laughs> it was. You two are ganging <laughs> up on the pre D's, aren't you? <laughs> I don't know. Take it back to Darabin. Let's go to how... <laughs> Final game of the round, and it is at Blacktown International Sports Park, 5, 10 p.m. Twilight football between the GWS Giants and the West Coast Eagles. Gravesy, I'll turn to you. Who wins between the Giants and the Eagles? Oh, I'm going the upset. I'm oh. going to go you little, yep, Eagles oh, by giant. point. You're going to pick Giants. <laughs> Eagles by points. <laughs> Eagles by point, go you little fellas. I reckon enthusiasm will win out on Sunday um, at Black. Is it Blacktown? Blacktown. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to tell. It could be forty degrees there. It could be you know three and piss and rain. So who knows? But that, no, go you little fellas. Um, I'm, I'm on the Eagles for this week. Yeah, have a have a red hot go. Catch Thirty five possessions. Now, who is Gravy's? Um, um, wooden spoon for the year? Yeah, that's all right. Okay. They can right. win one. That, that means some yeah, are going to win one. Yeah. Because don't worry, the Tigers are going to beat all these other these other teams later on, perhaps. And Suns and Cats. <laughs> who knows? Who knows what's going to happen at the I don't know what's going to happen at the top end or the bottom end at the moment, so yeah, it could be anyone. True. It's good. It makes it interesting. Interesting football. Yeah. Um, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna go the home side. I think um, Giants can can do it in the rain. They can do it in the heat. They can do it in a well. No, they don't usually do it very well in a thunderstorm. I have to say, um, but yeah, they no in the light home and, and I don't think they uh, are going to give um, Emma Swanson or Maddie Collier a welcome home. Um, in a nice way at all, so I think um, they're going to take it to them. And um, yeah, I'm going to go the Giants by. I'm going to be. I'm going to go five, five points. So we're both looking at a, a close game, but <laughs> the tips are all even except that last game. Who will take the overall oh, lead? Will come down to the Giants and oh. the Eagles. Oh, there won't be any banter until until Sunday, Arvo. Then. <laughs> Oh, well. Did you want me to change another tip? <laughs> no. No, no, no. no I'll no. just I'll check the tweet. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> I don't know who's copying it worse on the Twitter feed, actually, uh, Kiwi. <laughs> or both of yeah. them. Yeah. No, I cop it when I go to the games. It's even more of a worry. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly when she orders her fish and chips. Uh, Coach Kiwi and Gracie, thank you both for joining us for another Coach versus Coach. And we look forward to next week when one of you, bar a draw in that final game, We'll be walking away with bragging rights as the leader nearing the halfway mark of the season. There's a big, big sound from this side of town. Stick around. There's more to come on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival. We'll be catching up with the reigning premiership coach of the WAFL Women's Competition, Steve Markham of Peel Thunder, plus the captain of Waratah in the NTFL Women's Premier League, Lauren O'Shea. That's still to come. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. 
Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at alnf.org. WAFL Women's Footy Report. And joining us on the line now is the reigning premiership coach in the WAFL women's competition with the Perth Thunderbirds. It's great to have back on the line, Stephen Markham. Steve, how are you? Yeah, thanks, Amy. Yes. Great to have you here. And how do those words sit with you at the moment? Reigning premiership coach. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit surreal. As you were saying it, you get a bit of a tingle through the, the, the body. But yeah, no, it's... Yeah, still sinking in, really. It's a bit surreal of it all, but no, it's, it's very good. I'm interested to know, because we really get to see behind the scenes, but that moment after you've lifted up the cup and everyone's had their hugs and photos and all that in the ground, then you go into the rooms. What did you say as a coach to the group mere minutes after they've done it, they've won the flag? Um, yeah, you go in, obviously, really, really excited and um Try and get them together and just reflect more than anything. But we would just say how proud of them I was from from where we come from. More than anything, um, we were trying to get respect back in the competition after having such a, a disappointing year in 2019, and we wanted to come back and show that we're a competitive unit. But to obviously build the way we did, and then come over the top and played to good footy in finals. We're just really, really proud of the group and elated for them that they got some sort of reward of all the hard work they put in over the year. There were two other reasons for you to celebrate before the 2020 year rolled out, uh, and they were players picked up into the AFLW. We first of all begin with Sarah Vieira. Uh, she was taken as pick number 14, the first pick for the Fremantle Dockers, um, obviously going into a side which at the moment, as we speak, is, uh, have won 10 games in a row. Yeah, it was really exciting. I, I've had the pleasure of coaching Sarah since she was about 14. She came to the club and has always had those silky skills um, and we thought she was something special and then to see a transition to senior footy and no, not much more prouder than day one when she ran out for the Dockers to, to see her achieve a dream, dream. So, yeah, very exciting. And let's talk about Demi Little. Um, she was actually picked up on the 26th of November. She came in as a replacement player for Ashton Hill uh, into uh, the West Coast Eagles. Uh, obviously, her would have been a, a, a mixture of emotions over the three months. I mean, September winning a flag, October missing out on the draft, but then getting her chance in November. Yeah, she, she was up training with the state and uh, the AFLW train on the whole time. and um, It was yeah, a real really exciting again for, for Demi as well to finally get the call up um, to AFLW but she was I think realistic that she had a good year and uh, she was hoping to get drafted it didn't happen and she never dropped ahead she just kept working even harder and uh, the reward come obviously unlucky for Ashton that she got injured but um, and Demi got to play round one and, and was a, a good result for us so hopefully we see some special things from her. She did a mega job for us coming through the season and shutting down the best forwards in the, the Waffle W every, every week. Let's talk about preparing for 2021 because th- this is very unusual. Now, your season went 
in theory, it went a little bit later than it was expected to do when um, you finished yep. in September because obviously COVID-19 stopped everything and it picked up essentially as a half season from June, July. Um, and then obviously to try and get things back on track, all the state leagues are starting to realign with the AFLW. So your season kicks off this coming weekend. So essentially it's five months between the final siren blowing for the grand final in 2020 to the, fo- the first siren blowing for 2021. How do you handle that short time frame as a coach of, A, trying to just deflate and, you know, just relax after the 2020 season and then, okay, now we've got to ramp things up again? Yeah, it wasn't much of a break. By the time you um, you won the premiership to all the awards nights and um, everything we needed to do afterwards. So the girls haven't had much of a rest. And the, that was a challenge in itself in the lead-up to Christmas where we are trying to get them back training once it was announced the season was coming early and they had the state program going, which was really, really good for, for our under-19s, um, pushing really hard. So we had to really um, be careful that we didn't overload the players. So there's a lot of discussions about um, them just doing states or one night a week and, and uh, just preparing them and, and letting them get that rest too. There's a lot of them going into ATAR. Um, so we we back right off a little bit. Um, it was in one way, it's, I suppose it's a blessing in disguise. The girls haven't had a chance to lose their fitness um, as much as we've we've had a proper preseason. The the skills haven't really dropped off. So there's a blessing in disguise, but it's also that that fatigue factor we're real mindful of. So so um, obviously after Christmas we ramped it up and we've had the full squad with shutdowns and everything else that's going on. It's been a real challenge not being able to get the Southwest girls up because um, the borders, they couldn't cross the borders. So really, really the first night I've trained with a full squad was last night. So it's had us challenges, but we went through this last year with COVID and I thought we handled it really well. And we've got a lot of social media stuff that we, we do behind the scenes and the girls have been really engaged and posting what they're doing and, and doing a lot of one-on-one stuff. So I think we're in a really good position, but it, it's certainly, it's a different time and different challenges. So you just got to find ways of adapting and making it work for yourself. Let's talk about that. It was only just a week or so ago when the Perth lockdown yeah. happened for five days, which Victorians are going through at the moment as we speak. Um, yeah. In theory, it's really just a couple of nights off training when you when you stretch it out that way. But it's coming at a point where you're about ready to get the season underway. So how did you cope with yeah. that spanner in the works? Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? It's, it's a real funny one because it, it was two, the two weeks before our first game and we were looking at getting into scratch matches. It affected us more than anything. Um, obviously, the players couldn't train, so they, they did stuff, as I just said, behind the scenes and, and put it in. But the lockdown was only five days, but the, the hard border or the border into Perth was actually for two weeks. So as much as a lot of our local girls could come back to training, our Southwest girls, which is about 10 of them, weren't allowed to come up. So, again, we only had half a squad. So we were engaging. We were putting stuff out there, the information. Um, we had to cancel our scratch match. So we, we haven't had a, a competitive hit out against another club, unfortunately. Um, but we, we've done enough, and we did some match in last night. So it, it's all about adapting and making sure the girls are in good headspace. In one way, it was... It um, was good to probably give them a rest. They, they've had such a long pre-season and such a long uh, year from last year and a short turnaround. So uh, if you want to look at it a positive, I thought maybe, maybe the rest two weeks before, before the first game may not be a bad thing, but we'll, I guess we'll find that out on Saturday night. 
Let's talk about recruiting and, and trying to get the squad organised in this changing environment of dates, etc. Now, uh, as we said, in WA, you were very lucky. Not only did you have the State League season, community football happened, such as the Perth Football League, as opposed to Victoria, where they not only lost the State League, they lost the community leagues at the same time. So it's very difficult for their State League coaches to be able to try and recruit when they're not quite sure who they're recruiting for without a season of football. How crucial yeah. was it for those, even though it was a very short season in some leagues, only two months really um, how crucial was it for that community football to happen in WA and, and how many players have you been able to recruit out of that to add to your list going on from last year yeah it's it's really important that the grassroots keep coming through and we keep developing that talent and I'm always out and our other coaches are always out looking um, our state program with the development programs is outstanding in WA and um, they do a lot of work getting those development squads together and we can go and have a look at those and it's really important that we see those coming through and our Rogers Cup side which has won obviously a lot of premierships and was in the grand final last year has really turned over uh, three quarters of the squad this year so I think we'll have like something like 15 debutants running out Saturday night um, which allows our league side to, to get stronger with them coming through so there's a couple that are pushing very heavily for league uh, one will make their debut this week um, so it's it, we just keep it developing those underage players, bring them through the club, and puts pressure on on the seniors all the way through, and, and makes the club really strong. I guess that throws in an interesting question of how do you balance the side over the coming months? First of all, with AFLW footballers, if they're not selected, obviously you can one or two drop back. And obviously for those that are, you know, doing well, they're playing in the AFLW, which, you know, if Fremantle go long and deep into the season, they won't be needed for or won't be available for at least another nine weeks. And also at the same time, we've had the um, AFLW under-18s national carnival move to April. So obviously, as you said, for those Rogers Cup girls, for those that are doing very well they're not necessarily available for you at the moment at league because they do have that representative football commitment yeah well with the state um, we've been blessed obviously I've been developing a really young side with Courtney Rowley and Jay Briggs and and the like so they'll they'll go I would expect them to travel over with the the program so that's going to take obviously away from our Waffle W side but the, the positive is it allows us to develop some players. Last year we didn't turn over many, we were very lucky we didn't get many injuries so we had a really settled team um, I suppose the negative of that is that we didn't develop some of those younger ones coming through with such a short season so this year that'll give us that opportunity with those girls getting exposure at State 19 level We'll bring some of those Rogers girls in or, or players that are just on the periphery at the moment. So it, we look at it as a really exciting opportunity to, to test our depth and, um, and bring through another, another calibre of player, I suppose. How about the mindset of the group? As you mentioned, obviously you had a struggling 2019, which then rolled around to be a sensational 2020. And you're able to use that, I guess, that spirit of being the underdog where, hey, we've got nothing to lose. Now it's all different. You're the reigning premiers. You are now the hunted. Yeah, I, I've, just, I've said that a fair bit of training. We're not the, the hunter anymore. We're now the hunter. Uh, it was all about respect last year. So obviously, the, the really just 2019. So we talked about we wanted to get respect back in the competition. And you can lose that really quickly if you, your performance drops off and you're not doing the right things. And the girls have, have been outstanding to this point and I, I don't see anything different. So we, we'll keep um, talking about it. But it all comes down if we're training and doing the hard work and 
committing to the program um, will be competitive. Um, and that, they've been outstanding. The, the one thing a premiership obviously does is it breeds self-belief and self-confidence. So I've seen that come through and they haven't got ahead of themselves. So where we were beginning of 2019, where they're questioning, or to, sorry, beginning of 2020, where they're questioning, can they compete at this level? Or is it a little bit above them? Um, now they actually believe and they understand what it takes and, and the work rates that's required to be able to, to challenge. Um, so I, I think from now on, uh, we've got a really good group and obviously that pressure with those under-19 players coming through in the Rogers Cup, um, it's going to be really competitive to a whole spot. So if you're, you're dropping off 1% or 2%, um, you're, you're probably going to be in trouble of not playing Waffle W that week. So it makes us really strong, I think. It's always hard to be critical of a side when they win the flag because you've done the ultimate. But as a coach, if you're to look back at what you want to be critical on of the 2020 season to say, these are boxes we now need to tick in 2021 to stay ahead of the curb. What do you want to see yep. improvement in? Um, well, obviously we won the flag, so you say it was an outstanding year. Yeah. At the end of the day, we only won six out of ten games. So um, every game we're really, really competitive. It was within, within a goal or two. I'd like to see us move the ball a bit more and be more exciting and really take it on it and really create scoring opportunities. Um that, that's probably the, the biggest focus we've had this year about how we how we move the ball and how we get more opportunities inside 50. Uh, other than that, I, I, was, I was really happy with it. Um, development was the other one that I thought we we just didn't get enough extra girls through the development. Um, but that's because the side was so settled. But we want to give others taste of Waffle W, seeing that they're able to compete, and especially when those 19s go away, that we've got a competitive unit that can come through and step up as soon as we, we get a... a a hole or an injury that we need to be able to fill. So that'll be the main focuses this year. Obviously, we know you stand out players from last year, including the likes of Ella Roberts, who was 15 at the time and had a sensational finals campaign. We know the experience. Kira Phillips, Chloe Wrigley won the uh, Lou Nittner medal. As we talked about, Demi Little was uh, picked up by the West Coast Eagles in November. Um, Ebony Dawson was solid for you in defence. Uh, Abby Barton in the ruck. Who are you most excited about, though, that are probably some of the, I guess, unsung heroes of the Peel Thunder that, A, you, you saw starting to improve in what was a very short season last year, and B, that you've talked about with the Rogers Cup, particularly how they made the grand final last year? Yeah, it's, there's, a, there's quite a few. Tanisha Anderson held down 10 half back for us all year last year, and a bit of an unsung hero, um, the, the work that she does. She's still re- really young at the moment. Cassie Davidson's come back from AFLW. We were really lucky to get her in the back end of the year, and her body's holding up. She'll be our captain this year. She's doing some really exciting things. Um, we've got Kira Lee Brown back that played State 18 a few years ago, went away and had a, a couple of babies, um, has come back in unbelievable shape and is, is flying at the moment. So we expect something special from her. Obviously, you mentioned Ella Roberts. Best Shilling's been up training with the AFLW um, uh, train-ons. Um, we had her up last night, looking really, really strong. So I think we'll see some something special from her. Um, we've got a, a new young young player coming through in, Aisha Wright. Um, looks really exciting. Has a real X factor about her. So we'll see some real special stuff coming from her. So she's Rogers Cup age. So there's a lot of those young ones that are still pushing. Bellaman played a game late last year. Um, probably unlucky not to play finals for us. Um, but we had some of the senior players coming back through. She went back into the Rogers, but she'll she'll do something really exciting. And, and Nell Baxter's looking really strong 
coming back from a knee injury. Um, again, just an 18 year old going to play league footy this week and, and looks really exciting for us. So we'll, we'll have a, a, a new breed start to come through, but there's still those experience, like you mentioned, with Chippy and Bond and um, around the place to, to, to hold him in good stead. And finally, how do you feel about that uh, Saturday Twilight Spotlight for the Peel Thunder? Uh, yourself and East Fremantle will be the standalone game on the Saturday. So all eyes will be on you as the reigning premiers, taking on a club that's also had a, a lot of success in East Fremantle. Yeah, we, we're really, really looking forward. I'm, I'm super excited to get goosebumps, as you were saying that. So we're going to unveil the premiership flag before the, before the game. So it's a real going to be a real highlight game for us we've said ourselves I know East Fremantle are always a very very strong club had a lot of success over a long period of time so we'll know they'll be a formidable opponent and we expect them to be there in the back end of the year so coming into it it's um you, you never know you think you're ready until you run out on Saturday night um you never know that I'm expecting a cracker of a game. The, the prelim last year was a cracker. We had to come from behind to get over the top of them late in the game. And I, I think this one will be not much different. I think it'll be right down to the wire and two quality sides having a real big hit out. Well, Steve, thanks very much for joining us. And we wish you and the Peel Thunderbirds all the very best as you go to defend your crown as the reigning premiers of the WAFL women's competition. No worries, Pete. Thanks. And as we mentioned, the 2021 West Australian Football League women's season kicks off this weekend on Saturday, February 20th, 5pm at David Gray's Arena. The Peel Thunderbirds will unfurl their premiership flag before taking on the East Fremantle Sharks. Two games on Sunday, Feb 21 at 1pm at Fremantle Community Bank Oval at South Fremantle Bulldogs versus the Subiaco Lions. While at Still Blue Oval, Swan Districts play host to Claremont. NTFL Women's Footy Report. And joining us on the line now, it's great to have the captain of a team that has had many, many years of success in the NTFL Women's Premier League. This year, it's been a bit tougher for them as they go through that rebuild process. It's great to have on the line the captain of Waratah and Lauren O'Shea. Lauren, how are you? I'm really good, thank you. How are you? I'm not too bad at all. How's the body feeling for you? You're finally there, the final round of the home and away season. Yeah, look, the body, um, as I'm getting older, the body's not appreciating the football as much anymore. Um, the rough days are definitely over and just just been sitting deep in the forward line. <laughs> well, let's talk about uh, the year because we know last year you made the grand final, finished minor premiers. At the end of the day, it was Southern Districts who'd, who'd take home the premiership. There had been a lot of turnover, hadn't there, for Waratah heading into this 2020-21 campaign. Yeah, absolutely. Start of the season, um, yeah, we had a coach locked in who, for various reasons, pulled out. So our captain in Lisa Roberts stepped up to coach um, and also took on a Division Two team, which was new this year. So she definitely had her hands full. Um, we did have some players um, move away, which happens every year in the Territory, but also some players that are still in Darwin have relocated to other clubs for various reasons too. So, yeah, there was a quite a big shift within... Uh, our team and club, and yeah, and yeah, this season, um, yeah, haven't gone as well. <laughs> Is it fair to say a, a bittersweet moment because, particularly the early years that Waratah did dominate when when you joined them, going back to 2012, 2013, it was a very lopsided competition. Yourselves and Darwin Buffett's were up there at the top end of the table and were constantly smashing the sides down at the bottom mm-hmm. end. As much as 
you've lost some players. And, and to be fair, sides like Darwin Buffett's also lost a number of players. As much as it mm. sees a, a temporary slide for you down the ladder, it's bolstered up the other clubs and it's now starting to make a more even competition. Absolutely, yeah. As you mentioned, when I first started, um, I just went I went to Waratahs. There's a new one girl there. I just moved to Darwin and, and joined in the club there and obviously it was a very successful team. And um, yeah, so in my nine seasons of playing, I've, I've been in the grand final every season, haven't won all of them, but um, have done pretty well and are, are very lucky um, to be in that case. But yeah, as, as the years developed and I guess women's football um, improved in, in terms of the skill um, level and the amount of people playing. So over those years, I've definitely seen um, the competition has evened out significantly. And I guess, in I know we're not in finals, but um, it, it's, we're in a great spot in terms of territory footy where um, it's up for anyone. There's yeah, lots of potential in the clubs and great, great players and women coming through uh, the ranks, which makes for an awesome competition. Can you talk what it's like behind the scenes at the club as opposed to, as you said, those early years when you started out when uh, each of the clubs participating essentially only had the one team in the competition to now having a Division Two side and now starting this process of building pathways from your juniors all the way through? Yeah, yep. So when I started, um, yeah, there was a women's yeah, football league, which, which happened, but over the years the numbers, uh, of teams have increased, which is which is awesome. There's been an under 15 girls team, um, girls league, sorry, introduced as well as an under 18 girls league uh, introduced. And two, uh, we're now in the second season of a women's division two uh, happening as well. So women's footy is yeah absolutely huge in the territory as it is across the country. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's very promising. We've got our academy pathways that come through our NPFL system as well. COVID had a bit of a um, yeah, but, uh, negative impact on that, I guess, in terms of exposing um, our talent. But, yeah, we'll, we'll get back on the track with that. But, yeah, we've got some awesome people coming through and it's amazing. And we've we've seen, like, Janet Baird just debuted for Gold Coast Suns last weekend, which was great. And we've still got a um, few Territory girls there playing for Adelaide Crows. So, um, yeah, there's there's lots of talent. But, yeah, we've obviously, the league has increased to, to, um, to, to counter have all these players involved and and get them seen where possible. And of course, yourself personally, you've had that little bit of a taste of AFLW when you were signed as a a free agent originally to Adelaide Crows when they had that uh, split with the Darwin camp and the Adelaide camp. Yeah, that's that's right. So um, it was funny, come the the first AFLW draft, um, I'd actually been told that my name wasn't going to be called out, but I knew I was going to be a free agent. But I couldn't say anything to anyone. <laughs> so that was a, a bit of a tough day, but exciting at the same time. So um was announced a few days later that I was part of the Crows team, which was awesome. Um, unfortunately, didn't end up getting a game. I think um, Beck was amazing as a coach. And um, I think as the, as the league progressed being the first year, we didn't know, no one knew how they were going to go. And, and Adelaide Crows actually did quite well and why would you change anything and and as much as I was devastated missing out I I don't blame the coaching staff at all why would you change something that's working and uh yeah went through to win the premiership which was yeah absolutely incredible 
And of course, you'd also be, um, if I'm correct, a travelling emergency with the uh, NT Thunderside as well. So you've had that taste of representative football and that high standard of football in the NT. As you said, a number of premierships with Waratah. Now you come into this season, as we said, um, the, the change of coach, Lisa Roberts <laughs> taking over, and and it was yeah. tough going. But to be fair, when we look at the record, which shows 6-8-1, and one, you actually look closer at it you were never blown out. The, the, the biggest loss you actually no. had all season was 29 points. You even had a tie with the reigning Premier Southern Districts at one stage. All sides in the finals, you actually pushed in one of the two occasions that you played them. So how do you look back on the – yes, obviously, it's frustrating not playing finals football, but in another way, despite everything that's happened to your club, you're in reality, you're still in touch with those top sides. Yeah, it is. It's funny that like everything we know it's in, it's in reach. Every game that we've lost and obviously not ended up with the four points. Um, if you didn't actually see the game or see the scoreline, yeah, it, it is a loss and, it, and I agree with that. But yeah, very close and, and we really pushed those teams or, or kept their scores really quite limited. So I know in our team and, and again, we're bringing through new people as is every team, but yeah, like it's, it's within reach and, and, in, oh, I guess in some regards, it's a little bit more gut-wrenching knowing that it is within reach and we just don't get it over the line. Um, we thought we had Buffs the other week and they marked it on the siren and got a goal. And <laughs> So, yeah, sometimes I'd rather lose by 10 goals than, than a few points. Let's talk about the game against uh, Tracy Village on the weekend uh, where you won 16-12, 108-2, to no score. To be fair to Tracy Village, they are the wooden spinners. They are the battlers of the competition. When you're coming into a game like that, it's the second last game of the year. As you said, by that stage, you've kind of figured out that, that you won't be making finals. How do you approach that type of game? Is it a case of we're putting the strongest side in the park because we'd like a couple of wins on the back end of the year just to get the morale up and everything pushing for the next season? Yeah. Or do you take that opportunity to say, well, look, to be fair, we are playing easier competition. It's time to rotate through the list and bring up some Division Two players just to get a bit of uh, Premier League experience into them, again, looking forward to next season. Yeah, we brought this up a few few weeks ago, I guess, where we knew we were on the borderline of making finals or not. Um, so I guess our approach is still to play, be playing good footy, staying true to our club and culture and, and sticking to our structures. So we didn't go in and think, oh, let's all get the backs playing forward and vice versa. We still wanted to consolidate the learning and, and, and training that we've done. Um, Tracy Village have, have improved out of sight. I can't speak highly enough of them as a club. Um, they've got some really great talent in there and potential, and I really hope that they, as a group, stick together and continue to improve. From the first time we played them early in the season to then, um, a massive difference and a massive shift in, in the quality of their game. So that's incredible for them. But, yeah, no, we still went in trying trying our hardest and, and put everything into place. And we did mention a few weeks ago about, I guess, um, long-term goals in that we hope people return for the season next um that's coming up and to be thinking long-term. So if we can, I guess, like any club, come in with a, a high foundation, you would just build upon that again. So, um, yeah, and coming into Nightcliff this weekend, we know that, yeah, there's no way we can make finals um, and they will be in. But, yeah, we'll, we won't be stepping down or changing positions or anything like that. We'll be giving it a red-hot crack and hopefully leaving a, 
a good taste in everyone's mouth for the following season. Before we talk about that Nightcliffe game, just focusing again on that win over Tracy Village, four goals each for Brianna Martin and uh, Lisa Masali. What a year from Lisa Masali! Uh, Thirty-four goals from her twelve games. Oh, she's she's just phenomenal. So coming back after a, um, a knee injury and it, the surgery didn't really go to plan, and um, yeah, so she's brought herself back. She's actually quite funny. She doesn't love football, <laughs> um, Lisa Maselli, but she's absolutely phenomenal at it. So, um, yeah, she's, she actually got, when she did her knee, it was against Tracy Village. So I think she went in thinking she had a bit of moz, a bit of a moz over herself, um, going into it. So I don't actually think she was at her peak performance on the weekend against them, but she's an unselfish player and, and just the strength in her legs and um, accuracy at goals has just been, yeah, out, outstanding. And I think she'd be, she's got to be up there for contender of, um, yeah, the most goals scored in the women's league. So it'd be great to see that go her way. Uh, and Bree Martin, um, she's been around the club for a long time, um, played over 150 games. Um, yeah, quality, just a, a small forward and, and occasionally will play out on the mid, but just yeah her accuracy and her kicking is just awesome and and yeah we're very thankful to have those two on our team that's for sure. Uh, Taryn O'Hare chipping in with three goals. Yeah Tazzy she did a great job as well she's not a natural forward and we often talk about this with her um she's been thrown all over the place so I I try and remind her that she's a utility she's played a bit in the right played a bit in the back played up forward so she's a handy player to have on a team particularly when I guess in the territory, you've always got girls coming and going. We've got defence people, we've got shift workers, um, we've got families that are often not in the territory, so people are coming and going. So a player like her is very valuable to have uh, and can kind of slot into wherever you need. And, of course, yourself kicking two goals as well. I'll give credit to that. You know, enjoy the sunshine <laughs> and, you know, getting on getting on the board and the spotlight on yourself. Um, but, Lauren, when you look over your side, as you said, you know, it, it's been a tough year. Who have been some of the unsung heroes for you out in the park? Uh, I think uh, three or four players really stand out to me. Um, Isabel Rapson, she's been at the club for a little while now in the back line, but she's just a very, very solid player in every game. 110% comes out and just, yeah, our back line has just been phenomenal and, and yeah, Izzy's been um, terrific. Molly Cooper, who's played uh, a fair bit in the ruck and back line this season, um, the best season I've seen her, her have. Uh, I think she's really developed and improved in her football, uh, which is great. Um, and up and coming from our under-18s last year, Georgia Johnson, uh, she's been terrific and on ball, uh, just a yeah, hard hitter getting in and under. Um, she's actually going to play a trial game with the Gold Coast Suns, um, so she won't be with us next weekend against Nightcliff. But I guess we're in the predicament now that it doesn't matter in terms of making finals, so we're quite happy <laughs> to let her go now. There would have been a bit of angst, I think, <laughs> um, if, it, if it relied on that game. Uh, and another one, Lauren Plucker, or we call her Plucker, Lauren Plucker. I recruited her across from netball and um, first year at footy, but she's done an absolutely amazing job, and you can just see week in, week out, the effort she's putting in and, and the improvement is, is evident. And, of course, I spot a couple of Victorians that played some games, really about half a dozen games, uh, being Eliza Strafford and Danica Pedersen. Yes, yes, they came up from Williamstown. Um, I guess, yeah, Victoria not being uh best place to be during all the COVID. I think there's a lot of people that fled Victoria and come up to the Territory 
Uh, I know a lot of NPFL teams had um, Victorians come up in both the men and women's space, which was awesome. So, yeah, I'm very lucky to have those girls come along and, and they slotted into our, our team and our culture really well and we've still got contact um, with them, which is good. Eliza come up for another game not too long uh, ago. I think she was planning on coming up to another one, but it, of course another outbreak of COVID, which um, put a stop to that one. But, yeah, it was great having them and meeting them and, and making the friendships and connections there. I guess that poses an interesting question, as you said, that most Victorians did come up because simply because of COVID completely wiped out their season. But considering now how the Victorian season aligns, which is essentially going to start almost um, where your finals begin, um, do you see something as that as the NTFL Women's Club is now starting to form more um, formal ties with uh, Victorian clubs? So players, instead of having a pre-season, will now take the option of, and particularly for those that are able to move, that they will head up to Darwin instead and commence in October, November playing instead of doing a pre-season and then coming straight back down to Victoria for their um, so-called autumn winter season. Yeah, absolutely. I can see yeah, connections have already developed and I think there would have been a lot of conversations about that already. Uh, I do know obviously that Victorian footy season was missed so I think it was uh, a chance for those people to have some sort of exposure in and um, match fitness and match play um, because they've missed their season. But I do think, yeah, the connections are made now and it makes sense uh, as long as coaches approve, I guess. Um, and you'd obviously keep an eye on injuries and things like that. But, yeah, why wouldn't you come up to uh, hot, humid weather <laughs> for, a, for a pre-season where you're actually training and playing games and then return to Victoria for their season? Makes sense to me. So you've got your final game of the season. It is uh, coming up this weekend, 2.30pm, Saturday 20th of February at Gardens Oval. It's Waratah versus Nightcliffe. Uh, I believe it's been dubbed the Battle of the Beaches. <laughs> yeah, we've got um, we've got a new president this year, Rowan Langworthy, and he's, he's getting the Battle of the Beaches going, which is great. So Gardens Oval, which is Waratah's home ground, is right on Mindle Beach there. Uh, and obviously, Nightcliff being a Nightcliff is quite close to Nightcliff Beach. So, yeah, Battle of the Beaches, which is good. And we're two of the, I guess, bigger clubs. And, and by that, I mean we, we field all the grades um, across. Not all of the NTFL clubs have all the teams. So, two bigger clubs versing each other where we can all play each other on the same day. Um, so, yeah, Battle of the Beaches should be a good one. And what would it mean uh, to the Waratah Club just to round off the season, to upset someone's apple cart, knock off Nightcliff and put them in a pretty rotten mood as they head into the finals. Yeah, look, Nightcliff, I think um, the, the coach of Nightcliff, Shannon Miller, uh, was a long-time Waratah, and we've actually got an award at our club named after him, her mum that passed away. So uh, although, like, obviously, yeah, you, you want to win and to leave on, on a good note, leave our Waratah season on a good note, I do do have a soft spot for Nightcliff and I hope that they, they do go far in finals and, and obviously wish them all the best. But, yeah, when it comes to the game on Saturday, I think us as Waratahs will be doing everything we can. But, yeah, I, Nightcliff has developed. They're a fairly new club in, in the women's space and they've done – yeah, Shannon has, has brought them along magnificently and, it, yeah, it's actually incredible to see the strength and, and of the number of players they've got is incredible. So, um, yeah, it's it, It'll be a tough game, that's for sure. 
Well, Lauren, thank you very much for joining us here and we congratulate you on what's been a tough season. But as we said, you've managed to keep things close in the losses. You're still thereabouts with the top teams. And should everyone be fit and a couple of recruits next year, Waratah could be creating some nightmares for those sides at the top end of the table (laughs) once again. Let's hope. (laughs) Thank you. So let's recap the results from round 17 of the NTFL Women's Premier League. And as we mentioned earlier, Waratah 16-12-108 defeated Tracy Village. No score. To other matches, Southern Districts 5-1-31 went down to Nightcliffe 5-13-43. Palmerston Magpies, just the five behinds, Wanderers 3-5-23. And in the final match of the round, Darwin Buffett's 2-3-15 went down to Pint 3 Three six twenty four. In fact, the uh, Buffets led by four points at half time before a three goal third term for Pite put the game in favour of the Queen Ants. So let's have a look at the final round of the home and away season of NTFL Women's Premier League action. Uh, we kick off Saturday 20th of Feb at 12pm at Norbilt Oval. It is the reigning premiers, the Southern District Crocs versus the Darwin Buffets. 2.30pm at Gardens Oval, the Battle of the Beaches, Waratah versus Nightcliffe. 4pm at Tracy Village, it's Wanderers versus Tracy Village. And 7.35pm at TIO Stadium Saturday Night Football, St. Mary's versus Pite. That should be a cracker. Uh, Palmerston Magpies have the bye. Their season ended after round 17. And the ladder looks like this. Uh, Pite currently on top of the table, 15 and zip. If they do win on the weekend, they'll complete the season undefeated. Uh, Second place, Darwin Buffett's at the moment just ahead of St. Mary's. Can St. Mary's jump Darwin? Let's see what happens over the weekend. But nonetheless, Nonetheless, it looks more than likely that those two sides uh, will meet in the qualifying final. And Southern District's currently sitting fourth on the ladder. Nightcliffe fifth. They will more than likely meet in the elimination final. Waratah sixth. Parbatson seventh. Wanderers eighth. And uh, Tracy Village will take home the wooden spoon. And that concludes the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne. Carnival for yet another week. This program airs every Wednesday evening, 6pm Melbourne time on RSN Carnival. That's digital radio and also online at rsn.net.au and via the RSN Racing and Sport app. Or of course, you can find this podcast on all your favourite podcast platforms or just go to our website, warfradio.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just put a slash at the end and WARF Radio. Until next week, I'm Peter Holden, and it's bye for now.